everybody. Welcome back to uh, Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men, for, uh, X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, last week, we had an incredible and delightful episode with uh, Leah Williams, which I hope you all enjoyed and loved. Uh, here we are breaking our format as planned to do another trial episode. We have done trials for Charles Xavier and Wanda Maximoff thus far. Uh, and today we are putting uh, Henry McCoy, the Beast, on trial. And I know we all have a lot of things to say. Uh, let me do uh, just a brief introduction of the Beast, and then we'll have uh, our esteemed panel of guests and jury members introduce themselves. Uh, Dr. Henry Philip McCoy, the Bouncing Beast, has been through a lot of transformations over the years. Every decade, we seem to get a slightly different version of him. In the 1960s, we have the big, barefooted, agile, verbose Beast who used giant words in his regular vocabulary. In the 1970s, we got the Beast who performed science experiments on himself, covering himself in gray and then blue fur. And we got a much deeper look into his psyche as he wrestled with self-hatred, kind of Jekyll and Hyde style. But then he joined the Avengers and became the fun-loving furball, the best friend of Wonder Man who fit in among the world's greatest heroes. Uh, This is the Beast most of us love. In the 1980s, Beast had a long stint on various teams, the sometimes leader of the new Defenders. Uh, Then he was alongside the original X-Men in the Team X-Factor for a long time. In the 90s, Beast rejoined the X-Men and kind of took on the role of the team scientist, the medical specialist, kind of the background support character, investigating complex diseases and biological specimens. Uh, Then in the 2000s, things kind of went dark. Uh, He transformed again into a more cat-like form. We got a much deeper look into his kind of self-hatred and inner struggles and moral complexities. Uh, The brilliant scientist who's always ready to shift into the monstrous beast form. In the 2010s, he transformed yet again, and he went down a dark track in an ever more complicated world for mutants, uh, where he began delving into genocidal viruses and dangerous time travel. And now finally in the 2020s, he is not off to a great start, as he is now the leader of the uh, X-Force team, or the the mutant CIA and the nation of Krakoa. And he's frankly pretty morally corrupt at this point, but we'll we'll debate about that a little bit today. Uh, Many fans are familiar with Beast from other places from the comics. The 90s cartoon saw the heroic Beast, the playful, bouncy, smart, brave guy. Uh, In in the films, we saw Beast portrayed by Kelsey Grammer and Nicholas Holt uh, as the blue-furred scientist with, with, you know, big, giant things to do kind of on the side, but the story is never quite always about him. Uh, In comics, Beast goes all the way back to X-Men number one as one of the beloved original characters that formed the X-Men. For today, we're going to focus on the comic book version of the Beast, obviously, who has a history that runs 60 years deep nearly at this point. uh, And we're going to put him on trial for his more heinous crimes after we have some discussion about him. My name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm the host of Graham Alkin Lane. Uh, let me have each of our jury members, uh, people that I love and respect and have worked with on the podcast multiple times now. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves uh, kind of one at a time. Uh, let us know who you are, what you're working on. Uh, and then if you'll answer, uh, it doesn't have to be super brief, but briefly about what do you love and hate about the beast? And uh, do you have a favorite beast costume or beast story? Uh, so we're going to kind of start there. Uh, Alicia, you want to start us off? I would love to. Uh, My name is Alicia. I use she, her pronouns. I am co-host of the ex-wife podcast. Um, We 
talk about comics, which I now read, which I didn't read at the start of our podcast. So I'm really excited and actually thankful and honored to be a part of this discussion. Um, I only really know Beast well from the current comics. Um, I did do my research on my assigned topics for today, um, <laughs> but I don't have a ton of knowledge about him outside of what's currently going on with him in the comics. So I would say um, I lean more towards the dislike than like side of him uh, just because of where he's at right now. Um, as far as like a favorite costume or look of his, I went through and I did some research and I like his uncanny look with glasses. I'm a fan of the glasses. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think when I've, when Justin and I have talked about beast, the things that I do like about him are the moments that we've talked about, like dark beast, because my understanding of Beast is that he's not the greatest guy. And even in the research that I did for the things I'm going to be talking about today, uh, Dark Beast seems to be very okay with who he is and that he's not the best. And I think leaning into those points of his character are the things that I like about that version of the character. So that's what I got. Fantastic. Uh, let's go Bethany next. Oh, hi. Um, my name is Bethany Pope. Um, I'm a poet and novelist. My pronouns are they, them. Um, I live in China, so it's really freaking early for me right now. Um, and my favorite, actually, my favorite um, version of Beast is the one that appeared in Exiles. I don't know if any of you have read the Exiles series. It was fantastic. Um, alternate reality hopping. Um, and the version of Beast that inhabited you know, not that world, but rather those worlds um, came from a world where he and Wonder, Wonder Man were a couple. Um, and the tragedy was he was losing his intelligence and therefore his memory. Um, and it was, it was, it had a lot of pathos to that story. And I really loved it. Um, in terms of the 616, um, my favorite costume is, um, you know, the 90s, 90s beast with that semi pseudo Wolverine hair and the man bikini um i really enjoyed that um i, I loved his i loved i loved his lack of moral complexity um sorry to sort of play off of um off of your take and it's been really fascinating to see him evolve as a character and sort of embrace that inner darkness um out of necessity he thinks <laughs> and that's really interesting but i do miss the old beast um yeah Wonderful, thank you. Uh, let's go with Bradley next. Uh, hi, my name is Bradley. I am an illustrator. Uh, I go by they, them uh, pronouns. Um, my so so my favorite story and favorite costume are sort of separated. My favorite costume is probably I really like um, I really like his costume in the New X Men era with like the jacket and everything. I just think that looks tight. It looks great. Um, my favorite. Um, I feel like it's easier for me to choose like a, a favorite because he's been through so many iterations that I, I feel like it's easier for me to choose like a favorite version of Beast, like a favorite characterization. Um, and for me, that's probably his sort of like Avengers era of like sort of bouncing blue beast. It's it's sort of I like the um, I like the the sort of con similar to um, Nightcrawler. I like the contrast of him being yeah. this sort of um, 
beastly, for lack of a better term, uh, hairy monster man who is also this sort of like deep, soulful, interesting, and very funny um, mm. character. Um, I have also my little, you can't see him that well, but my little pop figurine, that's the like, I think it's the Kelsey Grammer version of him, uh, which is also great. It was great, great, uh, great characterization on screen. Um, but yeah, I, I think I typically like the, um, like I grew up on, um, on, um, the X-Men cartoon. What's the one where he was a teacher? I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it now. Evolution. Um, X-Men Evolution. Evolution yeah. Yeah, where he um, he's that kind of great like um, his introduction in that was fantastic. Where he was like um, quoting uh, Shakespeare down in the sewers, and there was like uh, rumors of some like some monster quoting Shakespeare's down in the sewers. It was great, um, but that's probably my favorite kind of beast. Um, I like his current iteration where it's very morally complex and stuff. But I just I, I find it very fun the the sort of bouncing blue beast man. Uh, Dylan. Uh, hi, I'm Dylan. I go by he, him. I, I run an X-Men Facebook group community, but I don't want to say I run it by myself. I have nine other people that help me and two other people are here. That is Bethany and Regina. Uh, again, it's a Facebook, a Facebook X-Men group. And from that group, I started a podcast with my co-host Regina and uh, my favorite version of Beast is very similar to Bethany. I like alternate versions of Beast better. Uh. And so I like there was an alternate universe called Mutant X where Beast was called Brute and he was green. Yeah. And <laughs> um, but I will say that I really do like Age of Apocalypse Beast where he's super just fucking evil and doesn't go back and forth of trying to have some sort of moral code like he knows that he doesn't have one so yeah and I don't have a favorite costume uh I, I like the cartoon and I like George Booza's voice of Beast on the animated series so yeah uh, fantastic thank you uh Justin everyone my name's Justin I use he him pronouns I am a video producer and an improviser and the other half of the ex-wife podcast with Alicia. And what do I love about Beast? I complicated question, but I do historically have loved his combination of physical strength and intelligence, this kind of juxtaposition of, of where that comes from wrapped in blue fur, uh, at least the classic Beast that I grew up on. Uh, the early 90s with Jim Lee and the blue fur and those short blue trunks, this guy right here. Uh, that's That's my Beast. That's the guy I know and love. But I am also a fan of Dark Beast. I, I do love what everybody's saying about just embracing that darkness, that that evil twisted that he is deep inside. And you know, I will I will say I'm enjoying, I love to hate the current beast <laughs> because of what he's doing. And you need a bad guy. And especially if you give that bad guy some power, it makes for interesting stories. But no, he's a terrible person now. And I miss I miss the 90s version. Uh if I had to pick a favorite story, it's, it's essentially all of the early 90s, but I do remember really enjoying an X-Factor story where I think it was Pestilence that affected him where every time he used his physical strength, he started to lose some of his intelligence. And I feel like there's a lot within that arc to speaks to his heroism and, and what he was willing to sacrifice to save the people that he loved. 
It may have been pestilence. I I think it was infectia. Yeah, so I, I started to look that up to infection. infection. I thought cured his issue oh. when when I'd have to go back and read again. But yes, that's a that's a fun story. Absolutely. Uh, let's go to Noel. Yeah, I'm Noel. Uh, she, her. I host the X Men Unraveled podcast, where I go over the stories of the X Men in chronological order. Um, I have a pretty negative view of Beast from the comics because I got to know the '90s animated cartoon version of Beast, and so that's always like the uh, like pedestal that he's been on in my mind. So I feel like every time I read the comics, I'm always disappointed in who he is. Um, my, I don't have a favorite costume. I would say I like the the '90s version of his appearance. I generally don't like the uh, the more like feline version of his appearance. I don't like it when that shows up in the comics. So that came up a lot going over all of the issues for for today. Um, so yeah, I, I just am generally disappointed in Beast, but I do. It is fun. The love to hate the current version. I definitely relate to that. <laughs> Thank you. And then Regina, please. All right. I'm Regina. I am the other half of the House of X podcast with Dylan. Um, and I'm one of the admins of the Facebook group that he mentioned. Part of our podcast is that we um, we do go over like fan stuff. So we talk to creators, writers, fans, um, you know, all different kinds of people that love X-Men comics. We like to hear a wide variety of opinions that don't necessarily align with ours because we know we're a little particular. <laughs> I use she, her pronouns. Um, and let's see my, I guess I'm a lot like Noel. Like I fell in love with beast in the original animated series. He was very smart, um, but he had a moral center and he was somebody you could actually look up to as a character. Like he didn't have some of the stuff that professor X has going on, even though they have similar intellect. Um, you know, and he seemed to really try. And he was always, you know, he was always spouting these great quotes. I would go look them up in the library. Like, who said this? I know he, I know this is a quote from somebody, you know, because he would say, you know, this was by John Wesley. So I would go up like, who is John Wesley? <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of, kind of inspired me to look more into literature and things like that. So around that same time in the comics, he was basically a very similar character. Um, and then Age of Apocalypse happened and we got to look at, shit, this fucking sadist <laughs> psychopath beast. And now, <laughs> you know, 25, 30 years later, wow, what has become of our bouncing baby boy? And Edna needs to get on that, maybe smack him around a little. <laughs> like, you must disappoint the hell out of your parents. <laughs> well, he but, does. Um, <laughs> Did you see the Christmas issue? Like, yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> Beast, Beast has kind of swung back and forth. Um, you know, he does things that he really thinks is the right thing to do, even when he knows it's going to go completely wrong. And he's becoming less and less apologetic about it. Like used to be, you could tell he wouldn't sleep very well at night because of some of the choices that he was making. And now he's like, shit, I'll be the bad guy. I'll take the fall. I'll, I'll, I'm going to lean right into, you know, whatever I'm doing, because I feel like I know better than everybody else. And I'm not listening to criticism from anybody. So fuck off. Excuse me. Can I say that on this podcast? Yes, yes you can. <laughs> I mean, fuck yes, you can. <laughs> um, but he's just very, you know, like he's very leading into his dark beast inclinations, which is 
or someone who has loud beasts is horrifying because he used to be such a strong moral center. He would do things that he's like, you know what? Like, you know, when we go back to the Dark Phoenix saga, should I tell the Avengers? No, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> this is this is our problem and we're going to solve it. Um, but now he's not doing things like that anymore. He's doing things that are much, much worse and leading into it. Um, and he doesn't have the psychopathy that Dark Beast has. I mean, Dark Beast is a sadist. He's a serial killer and he really enjoys what he's doing. I don't know that our beast necessarily enjoys what he's doing, but he's not apologizing for it. And that is, I think, even worse. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he sees himself like the witch and into the woods. The, the, I, I'm not uh, I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm just right is his sort of yeah. uh, ethos. <laughs> Unnecessary. Yeah. Well, maybe he's just not admitting that he enjoys it. Um, <laughs> That's also valid. <laughs> Uh, so I'll go last here. Uh, I'm Chad. I use he, him. I, uh, uh, one of the reasons I love doing these trials that really makes me take a deep dive into these characters. I actually have several different likable versions of Beast that I discovered, although I don't like all of them too. Uh, we're doing the original X-Men books on my podcast. So the 60s Beast is hilarious. He's fun. I have to yeah. look up big words. Every time he like has shitty things happen. We read a scene recently where he's trying to flirt with his girlfriend, but it actually turns out to be like a guy with a girl's haircut that flips around and like made me laugh out loud. But he also is super misogynistic and like makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, when you get into the, um, the current X-Force run, I think Benjamin Percy's doing an incredible job with him. I, I, anything that makes you feel as strongly as most readers do about the Beast I think it's it's really incredible storytelling with lots of pathos. And you just, uh, this recent issue where where he was experimenting on the weapon and then it got in his ear and like, like he lost his eye over it. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things happening with his character. I, I uh, if I have to pick a favorite look, the, the series where all new X-Men where the X-Men traveled into the future, there was a really cool mm. costume. Uh, I think it was his second look where he puts on kind of like a, an orange and brown costume that doesn't look quite like any other. Um, you'd have to go uh, uh, look it up. I can post an image of it, obviously, but it's in the second All-New X-Men series, number one. It's a great costume. I also really love his Astonishing X-Men look where he has like the big blue furry chest and kind of the X that comes <laughs> underneath it. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good look for him. Uh, it's interesting as we draw the comparisons between he and Dark Beast, we uh, were frustrated with Beast who's pretending to be a hero doing shitty things, but we admire Dark Beast because he's just as a villain and we know it and we can just love that <laughs> about him. So it makes it, uh, it, makes it complex. Uh, so I'm going to do a brief uh, biography of the Beast here. This will take just five or six minutes. And then let's have a discussion about him, his character, his personality. Let's just kind of share our thoughts and opinions uh, on all he's been through over the years. Uh, <laughs> for those that are watching, I printed out all my notes so I wouldn't need to reference. And I didn't notice until just now that I printed two pages on children drawings. Oh. <laughs> my kids apparently <laughs> drew on my printer paper. So I'll, I'll have to switch over <laughs> to the computer document. Welcome to the life of having children. Um, so let's uh, let's begin with just a little bit of a, a discussion about the beast himself. So Norton McCoy, as his father, was exposed to nuclear energies before he and his wife, Edna, had their only son, Henry, who they often called Hank. Uh, Hank was born with enlarged hands and feet. Uh, he grew up on a farm where he had a very curious mind and would often take things apart, even as he struggled to learn the limits of his enhanced strength. So his mutant power set in very early. 
Uh, despite these differences, uh, Henry was told repeatedly by his parents that he was loved and accepted for who he was. Uh, an excellent student, he attended Bard College, where he was often bullied for his large hands and feet. He later joined the football team and was often called a beast in the field, and this name stuck with him. He chose to adopt this as his superhero name. Uh, word of Hank's skills and powers began to spread, which made him the target of the villain uh, Conquistador, who kidnapped uh, Beast's parents uh, in order to force Beast to commit crimes for him. He was ultimately defeated, and Hank chose to join the X-Men, with Professor X erasing the memory of Hank's powers from his parents and the others who grew up with him, uh, under the idea of keeping uh, Beast protected. But a uh, big tragedy, if you consider that, leaving everything behind and going to this school. Uh, Hank was unique among the X-Men. He was constantly hyper, doing acrobatics while training. Uh, one of his first appearances, like spinning around on a pole on his big toe. It's ridiculous. Uh, he's always on missions, uh, uh, acting out even during relaxation time. He loved textbooks and reading and giant words. Uh, he would often inappropriately flirt with Jean Grey, calling her things like female or even wench. Uh, after a series of dangerous missions, Beast considered quitting the team, but he and the others were pulled into the far future by an older version of Beast. We'll come back to that later today, obviously. Uh, there, the teenage X-Men saw a very complicated, broken world where mutants had been nearly wiped into extinction, and the X-Men were broken into different factions. Now, Hank spent months in the far future, where he expanded his studies into biology and even magic, and for a time... He made deals with magical entities and used magical artifacts, which turned him into his first transformed version, which was the demonic blue bestial version of himself, uh, which later turned white for a while. In time, the X-Men returned to the past with their memories of their time travel uh, erased from their minds, uh, though they would get those back in the far future. Now, uh, I got to switch over to my computer now because of the kid drags. Now, Hank briefly, <laughs> Hank briefly quit the team in order to pursue a career in wrestling, and he began using various scientific know-hows to design weapons to aid the X-Men in various missions. Uh, he was the first to quit the original team. He got multiple PhDs before taking a job as a scientist at the Brand Corporation, where he worked to isolate the genes that caused mutations. Uh, he experimented on himself, resulting in changing himself into a bestial man covered in gray fur with thick claws and sharp teeth. Uh, he later, and he also found his strength and agility enhanced. Uh, he was horrified with these changes and immediately designed a mask and a costume to be able to blend in among other humans for the time, as long as they didn't look too closely. Uh, he turned blue after a while. For many years afterward, Beast balanced his academic pursuits with being a superhero. He joined the Avengers. Uh, gained in public popularity with fans and women. Uh, he dated Vera Cantor, formed a close relationship with Wonder Man, a uh, famous movie actor. Beast then joined the Defenders and led the team for a while before rejoining the original X-Men in forming the team X-Factor. Uh, for a time, he dated the reporter Trish Tilby. Uh, through a series of bizarre adventures, Beast returned to his human form, lost his intelligence, then got his intelligence back with a major upgrade to his strength, and then finally became the Blueford version of himself again. After he rejoined the X-Men, the Beast became the resident scientist and medical expert on the team, uh, spending more and more time in his lab, working on saving his teammates from various threats and doing biological studies 
on any threats that the X-Men faced, most notably the mutant killing legacy virus. An evil version of the beast we've already talked about from the age of apocalypse was a mad and bestial scientist who saw everyone as genetic fodder for his experience, uh, his experiments ended up in this reality, 616, and he even replaced Beast uh, for a time on the team, kidnapping our Beast. Uh, during this time, Beast saw, saw what an evil version of himself was capable of, uh, resulting in untold trauma for so many, I mean, primarily the Morlocks. Uh, Dark Beast had no ethics, saw everyone as genetic fodder, which disgusted Beast at the time. But as we'll see, he slowly kind of transforms <laughs> into this version of himself. Uh, in time, Beast mutated again, turning him to a kind of a blue-furred cat-like version. Uh, he grew very insecure about his transformation. And Cassandra Nova, uh, Professor X's twin, Mumadry, whatever we call her, uh, once played on these fears, uh, briefly making him believe he was slowly transforming into a house cat and later turning him to a savage, bloodthirsty beast. Later, when Dr. Kavita Rao developed a seeming cure for the mutant gene, brief, Beast briefly considered taking it. Uh, he even pretended to be gay in order to break up with Trish Tilby, uh, though he later dated Abigail Brand of S.W.O.R.D. for a time. Uh, the mutant world got very complicated right around here. Mutants were hit with an unending series of threats that could result in genocide. And Beast developed this ability to see himself sometimes as the only one who could save the mutant race. So he started making lots of questionable decisions. Uh, more recently, he's taken over as the director of intelligence for the mutant nation of Krakoa. It's during these times when he began making increasingly dangerous and unethical decisions. And a lot of these things are what we're going to be putting him on trial for today. Now, some thoughts briefly on Beast's powers and personality uh, and his capabilities. From birth, he's had these huge hands and feet he can use to grip things, enhance strength and agility. He bounces off walls, clings to walls and ceilings constantly, kind of Spider-Man style. He's always hanging upside down. Uh, Beast has been an extraordinarily curious character, taking things apart, never quite wanting to put them back together. He's uh, fascinated by textbooks and biology and weapons design, uh, building weapons at times to aid the X-Men. He's considered one of the smartest men in the world among the top 10. He has multiple PhDs, most notably in biophysics. He's proficient in medicine, genetics, electronics. Uh, he's a world-renowned biochemist. He's fluent in many languages, including Russian and French and Japanese. He seems to have kind of an eidetic memory, perfect memory recall. He's designed weaponized viruses. He discovered the cure for the legacy virus. He's built time travel machines, uh, weapons that can block mutations. And his heroism has undoubtedly helped save the world and mutant kind multiple times over. He's also an ex expert hand-to-hand -hand combatant and military strategist. I feel like he's always needed a lot of attention and has always felt like yeah. the world owes him something. He uses jokes and big words to make himself stand out. Uh, when he injected himself with the mutation serum and became kind of gray and furry, he unlocked the rest of his mutation, which was always his. Uh, he's manifested it in multiple forms over the years. Blue fur, thick fangs, sharp claws on his hands and feet, sharp teeth. He has a bestial nature that he can easily refer, revert to, uh, becoming a savage hunter. He seems to have a lot of shame about this bestial appearance, and he's sabotaged relationships. Uh, he's considered curing his mutation to become human. I still think Beast is bisexual, but that's never been officially revealed in the comics. Uh, so he may have some shame about that. 
Somewhere along the way, Beast seems to have adopted a stance that his actions, even when morally questionable or justified, uh, are, are right. And he often sees himself as above laws, scientific principles, and moral boundaries when he's making decisions that he considers to be for the greater good. Uh, in fact, the Watcher once appeared before Henry McCoy to show him the potential <laughs> consequences of his actions. And the Watcher, who's like the silent space, space god, told him, you disgust me, Hank McCoy. Uh, so with this little kind of intro, let me hear some of your thoughts and reactions to Beast's history, his heroism, his personality and complexities. Uh, let's just talk about the Beast for a little while. Okay. I, I actually think that he was always um, had the dark Beast element inside of him. Um, because the reason they originally experimented on himself is that he wanted to prevent somebody else from getting his formula. So he was just going to use it out of, on himself out of spite. Um, so that's always been in play in his character. And I think that it's just, he's just admitting it to himself as we as we watch the character evolve. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating. One of the things that I hate about Beast is the fact that he <laughs> is everything that I normally love. Like a hairy man, big hands, big feet. <laughs> everything but he just uses it all in the wrong way <laughs> I, I have so. a really inappropriate <laughs> <laughs> i think some of the things that i used to love about him are the things that have kind of gone overboard now like he's become too smart and arrogant for his own good and yes. some of those things that i i liked his confident nature and his intelligence. And I feel like he's just played into those too far. And there was a turn at some point where it just became a danger to himself. And which is at odds with the idea of dark beast, where we like the fact that he's not lying to himself. I just, I see them as two very different characters, dark beast and beast, but almost one is the, like, you could be this guy. If you just admitted it to yeah. yourself that you are this guy. Yes. Agreed. But you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like you to be. Deep down in your heart, that's who you are. I mean, I think there's an interesting, you know, in in reading and then hearing again the sort of like backstory of him from start to finish, the the specificity of like his being bullied and how his intelligence could sort of like counteract that, like that was his one up on people. I think that that became like a defense mechanism. And then it just sort of spiraled into a place of like becoming too arrogant and um mm. you know the idea of the fact that like you're the smartest one so you must be the only one who can save everybody all the time isn't really doesn't really work in his favor i think being able to use those smarts and then apply them to really looking at how other people could help you in the things that you want to do i think would be more beneficial than saying well, I'm the smartest one, so it must be my idea and I must be the one who solves the problem. I think that's kind of like the root of where the bad parts of him come into play, that he used that sort of as a defense mechanism and as a crutch, like growing up. And then it became just like too far into who he was and he couldn't identify as anything other than the strongest, uh, the smartest person in the room. So if that's who he believes he is, then he has to like really hold on to that to make, to still feel like he has 
an identity within the larger group when like everybody has powers and everybody's strong. So like, what's the thing that makes him stand out? I think the, I think the beast to me, as I do this research, he stands out as a character of contradiction. So often he is the brilliant mind in the bestial body. First and foremost, he's the character of privilege who was like taught to Mm. love himself and be embraced by his parents, but he was also bullied for who he was. Uh, he is the smartest guy in the room, but often the most short-sighted. Uh, he, he's, he's got a lot of really interesting characteristics that kind of add to his moral complexity. He's got a really confident exterior that does not match how he feels about himself, it seems to me. Like, he, he does not care about himself very much, but he puts on a real big show for everybody. It's those contradictions that fascinate me the most, I think. Yeah, and I, I think a lot about how he's isolated himself. I get mad because he makes these huge decisions on his own and he doesn't consult anyone. Like he's around a lot of good people who could help him make decisions and he doesn't ever go to them. But I think it's just the result of isolating himself so much that like he, he had this self-reliance that has kind of gone too far. I think that speaks to his insecurities because he knows that even though he's got a very brilliant mind, like when he was trying to find a cure for the legacy virus and he's like, you know, well, I've tried all the like hero stuff. Now I got to go consult like Sinister and, you know, like all of these villains that are willing to cross lines that the heroes won't cross. And he still struggled so hard trying to come up with something good. And I think that's, I think that's what is really the most frustrating. You know, we're kind of comparing him to his dark beast persona and who Dark Beast is, but Dark Beast really enjoys torture just for the point of it. Like, he just wants to torture people because he can. But Mm. our Beast, our 616 Beast, he really, he seems to be trying for everyone, and he used to have compassion, and now it's like it's all burned out of him. (laughs) So it's frustrating because we do know that he knows ethically between right and wrong, and he's still continuing to choose the wrong way of handling things, you know, like when, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but, you know, when he went to the telefloronics, you know, that is something Sage probably could have helped him with, or Madison Jeffries, or, Mm. you know, all of these really smart people that do have boundaries and do have ethics, if you could come up with a plan that might actually work instead of beast just like, well, I'm super smart. <laughs> I know what to do with this. And now this is what we're going to do. And he's yeah. got a free pass for it. I think that really also ties into, um, oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that also really ties into what Noel was saying about his like isolation, because currently in the comics, like he does, he's always by himself, like, doing a little something behind the scenes and then is like, ha ha, I'm not going to tell anybody I did this, but I did it. And I think that exactly what you're saying, Regina, like if he was to just communicate with other people and then not have this feeling that like, if he has, if there's a problem, he could just be the Kickstarter of a conversation and not have to enter the conversation with the answer already, then it would probably work out better for him. But I feel like what I've observed of him is that he feels like he needs to already have the answer. Like that's his role. So he needs to have the answer already. And so he needs to like go hide by himself and figure out what it is. And then he doesn't know how to communicate to get 
the problem solved better. So he just does what he thinks is yeah. the right, the quote unquote right choice. Yeah, I feel like that, right. that kind of played into something that I was thinking about. I like him in the field when he's out working with other people, but when he's deep in the lab and he's pondering these big troubling questions and he gets in his own head and spirals down, that's when all these things happen that we're talking about. But when he's out in the field, he's working with other people, he has to be collaborative. He has to be <laughs> on his feet. He's not able to kind of like ponder and, and extrapolate what could be done. I, I feel like he he's his own worst enemy because he lets his brain get ahead of where he needs to be going. There is a long history of X-Men characters who have this theme. I mean, we talk about queer, queer theory and queer identity on the podcast a lot. We have this theme of learn to love yourself anyway, like kind of starting with Cyclops. My, my powers can't be controlled or rogue where you can still have a good, vibrant life if you learn how to love yourself, right? Or more recent characters like Anol or Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler is a great example of like, here's my appearance, but I've yeah. got to love myself anyway. Beast is kind of the archetype for that for me in a lot of ways. The Beast we have all through the 70s and 80s, well into like when we start the Jim Lee run, I think is where it starts to change. We have this character who looks different, but just loves himself anyway. He's found a way to fit uh, and he stands out. He's the blue furry guy in swim trunks. You know, like that's 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 his whole thing. But he stands out and he <laughs> he embraces himself. And I think as a kid, when I watched like the 90s cartoon or read the old books, that's what I loved most about him. That is one thing I really love about him. He had the close friends though. Sorry. No, no, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say I really love how oh, sorry. He, he looks so different, but he he accepts it. And like, that can be such a good model for other mutants who, who don't have the benefit of passing as human. I just thought that like, one of the things that anchors him is when he has a good friend, like in the early books, he had Bobby and then he had Wonder Man and then he loses it. He doesn't maintain the close relationship that balances him out. And I think that that, contributes as well. Um, so I wasn't trying to step on your point. Um, Noel, I like, I agree. <laughs> I was just adding. I, I feel like after having gone through, uh, his whole life, I, I feel like what I'm left with mostly is a question, um, which might be one for later, but like, is there a path back to, um, a less, uh, uh, a less severe version of him from where we're at these days, you know? Like, is there is there still ever going to be a, a sort of, I don't know, lighthearted beast again? Or is this the character that we have the forever beast. going forward? <laughs> There's a, after, after his whole time the travel- thing that After his whole time travel disaster, we'll talk about that more in detail. There's an issue of Uncanny X-Men where they put him, they have like an intervention with beast. Like you've gone too mm -hmm. far. And he basically says, fuck you and walks out. Uh, and the X-Men still trust him. Like, this is a man who has, like, tinkered with bad science and, like, almost broke the space-time continuum. And they're like, yeah, come lead our CIA. I don't know quite why they keep trusting this man, because a lot of characters are, Not they, are really Charles. pissed at him. Yeah, Charles, yeah. it's because Charles <laughs> Charles <laughs> Charles doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care about morality as long as he gets what he wants. Yeah, um, and he can pin it on well, someone with, else. But Beast, though... Yeah, you can pin it on somebody else. Exactly. Mystique or <laughs> sinister coming up, it looks like. Um, but um, the beast in the 
sorry, in the X, uh, in the X Force right now has been talking about his fear of being reset in, during resurrection. Yeah. Um, you guys remember that? So like they could forcibly bring back mm-hmm. um, the as we think of the good beast. Um, it up. The people doing <laughs> the resurrections at, at any time, and it could reboot him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think. And I, I, get... I like that existential. Yeah. I don't think we get a redemption arc until we see him held accountable for what he's done. Storm, Storm hates him. Kitty hates him. Cyclops hates him. Like, there's no trust left. Uh, and even the people he's working with, Marvel Girl quit the team. Sage is always yelling at him. Emma is fucking pissed. Like nobody likes him anymore. He, he's kind of an, an island unto himself, except for like Kid Omega and Wolverine. Like that's all he's got left. Charles. I've, I've got to Charles. say. And Wolverine hates him too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, uh, someone, uh, I, I don't remember who I'm so sorry, uh, I mentioned a minute ago something about um, him being uh, that his um, compassion has just been completely burned out of him. Uh, and I, I actually really do this. That's the most I've ever identified with Beast before. Because it, at some point when you feel like you're, you, when your um, personhood and your all of that are, are constantly being challenged, it is like over the last, I, I would be lying if I said I was the same person that I was uh, several years ago um, b- before it, it felt like that. Uh, in my life, it, and I'm not facing the same things Beast is. That's I, I'm normally very critical of him, but that that kind of makes me um, uh, think about it a little different than I did before, which is interesting. It's it's hard not to feel Good point. Uh, like your compassion being burned out of you doesn't change you or the things that you're capable of. I think uh, I work as a therapist in my day job, and I think people who've been through significant trauma often enter a space where they feel entitled to get away with shit. Like, because I have been hurt, it's okay for me to blank, right? Like to mistreat others or to set boundaries or to commit these crimes, but it doesn't make you less culpable. And frankly, there's so many other characters who've been through so much worse shit than Beast who are not doing the shit that Beast is doing. Yeah. Uh, so I have a certain... I have a certain amount of compassion there, but not a lot because I, I think uh, I think there's much more tragic characters who who don't go that direction. So this might be a really good opportunity. I'm going to introduce uh, two quotes from Benjamin Percy's X Force run, uh, and let me let's talk about these quotes. These are these are thoughts that Beast has had to himself or like spoken aloud. Uh, so these are in Beast's narrative. Uh, let me read these quickly. First one. I like to think of X-Force, and again, X-Force in the comics now is like the CIA. I like to think of X-Force as a dark orchestra. Some of us prefer the spotlight of the melody, like a shrill, brilliant violin or a fun, emotive sax, while others harmonize in the background. Some serve a necessary function by mindlessly beating drums and crashing cymbals, pleasuring in their violent rhythm. And there are those who are as versatile as a cello, able to play melody or harmony to swing between the brightest and darkest notes. And I, I am their conductor. Some of my musicians would refuse to admit this, but it is a fact. I am the mind. I am the conscience. I unify them and shape their missions and interpret their needs and control their pacing. I am in charge of interpreting all data for Krakoa. That means I control all information. And if some of that information is damaging to mutant kind generally or X-Force specifically, I arranged the cleanup with with bribes, planted evidence, false news reports, memory erasure, whatever it takes to hide our work. 
A helicopter crashed because of a rotor malfunction. A lab burned to the ground because of a bad circuit. Really, I would prefer to avoid the trouble altogether. And that requires me to be in a state of constant anticipation. Sometimes a little wrong makes a greater right. Sometimes bold decisions must be made, and bold decisions are never made by a committee. That's why X-Force exists. That's why I'm its conductor, because I'm always five moves ahead of everyone else, because I'm never wrong. And then, this, <laughs> and then the second quote quickly, that was from X-Force number six. The second quote quickly is from X-Force number 23. I died once already. I don't plan on repeating the experience. It wasn't just the discomfort, it was the anxiety that something had been lost or that someone might try to change me upon my rebirth. Often I hear from others, I miss the old beast, the fun one, the cheerful one, bounding and playful as a kitten. Maybe he's still hidden away inside me. Certainly he's hidden away somewhere on Cerebro, but his time is past. If we're going to survive, we need a bastard in charge. I'm that bastard. First of all, Benjamin Percy, that's fucking brilliant writing. But let me hear some of your thoughts on the psychology of the beast as we hear these quotes. He sounds like He's a Shonda Rhimes villain. Amazing. I was thinking he inside like of my the head. Dad on Scandal specifically. Like, he really does. <laughs> oh, I can't wow. believe I didn't think that when I read that the first time. It's it is beautiful writing, but like Jesus. Christ, I would be irritated to know him. <laughs> no, like, and he's, someone... not, he's not hiding it. No. <laughs> he's not hiding it. He's like this to his friends or to his former friends. Yeah, that's the, Just that's like, the thing. Yeah. He's thinking it, but he'll tell whoever asks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of these descriptors, they feel self-appointed, right? You know, the fact that he's the conductor. Who decided that? The fact that yeah. he's never wrong. Who tells you that? The fact that I th they need me to be the bastard. They need me to do these things. He's, he's excusing <laughs> his actions before he's even made them. And that's just giving him freedom to do whatever the hell he wants because uh, you need it. It's a necessary evil. Yeah. And his willingness to sort of rewrite how things happen and to make the changes that he thinks need to be made, that's that is where his fear of resurrection is coming from because mm -hmm. he's thinking if I was in charge of resurrection and I could resurrect some people a certain way, I would do it. So he, I feel like he, he has these fears because he's thinking them himself. Like, I don't yeah. think anybody else is like, Ooh, let me, let me make you he's who I want you to them. be. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Witness he's, what happened to Domino and not think about that. Yeah. You know? Like, Yeah. Domino uh, chose to rewrite her memory, though. Um, and I think Beast is talking about, like, uh, forcing it on other people. I, I, I think she She, did. she intentionally, oh, sorry, no, I mean, she said, don't resurrect she wasn't me going to, my pain. Yeah. She, yeah. she wanted to come back with that. It. Yeah. Yeah, but, and then they didn't. They did it anyway. Okay, I'm But in that, missing, uh, in that particular instance, right, don't they do that for, isn't that like a global rule of, like, we don't let anyone remember how they actually died? It's less of a global rule, but it, did they have her backed up with, you know, oh. it, it probably would have been on Colossus to leave a note of, oh, hey, yeah, she wants to know. <laughs> yeah. Just so we're clear. <laughs> um, Keep that in there. But when her last backup was, would then retain the data of how she was feeling, what she had done, what had happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. He did see it happen. In and some and form. she told it to him. Like, like, that was that was her trusting to Colossus. 
Yeah, yeah. he's still too full of himself for his own good. The only people in real life that I can think of who have this type of psychology are people who like run cults or like are <laughs> or are like in high positions in Washington DC or other governments yeah. where they see Whoa. people as they see people as collateral, they see everything they do as morally justified. It's like a high level of narcissism. Prosperity well, gospel is... preachers. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> in the text me. i feel like like when, when i'm thinking like leader of the mutant people it's usually cyclops and but like unlike beast i i feel like oftentimes cyclops hasn't been the one to sort of self-appoint himself it's just like yeah. someone was needed in charge so he just sort of did it um which i think is an interesting i don't know um distinction <laughs> why does beast hate cyclops so much jealousy oh no um i think it's because he's like sorry it is jealousy it is envy envy but um Mm. i I think it's more i was reading rereading the early stuff like with the um the the genocide against the scrolls and i think he views cyclops as pushing him in this direction um and then chastising him for going in the direction that he was pushed so it could be like just the sort of resentment building up from that. Why do you guys think he's jealous of Cyclops? I do think that's the case. I'm, he's I mean, hot. I think <laughs> he's in a threesome. One, <laughs> like one, right from the get, he he wanted Jean Grey and he mm-hmm. didn't get her. And two, I mean, he blatantly says in the the current X Force run, like. He says, if Charles was to go, like, I would be the next in line. And I think, like, he wants <laughs> Charles to see him as that, like, number one spot. But Charles has, like, traditionally seen Cyclops in that role. So he's just like, oh, but yeah, he wants. To I want to be child. that. Yeah, I want to be, like, the number one kid, <sighs> but I'm not. I think in my brain, I, am. I think the really yeah, divisive change. And we won't we won't analyze this relationship a lot, but I think the really divisive change when mutants when the decimation happened, right? M Day happened. Cyclops uh, took over as leader, but Charles was murdered by Cyclops, and then Charles put yeah. Beast, and then Charles put Beast in charge of the Illuminati stuff, which shows like Charles trusts Beast a lot, and Cyclops has always been kind of the golden boy. Uh, kind of Charles's kid. I think there's some significant jealousy. And then as someone else, was it, did Regina, did you just say this because Cyclops is hot? I do think there's some jealousy based on, uh, based on the idea that Cyclops has the appearance that I wish I had. It's, there's some interesting psychology there. Uh, who's your favorite love interest of the beast? Brand. Yeah. Abigail Brand? Abigail, I think she was the best for him. I think that even though she also it's really interesting because she also makes decisions that are very questionable Mm -hmm. but i don't question her heroics behind it and i think that she would be a good balance for him if they had stayed together but she knew i can't stay with this dude i gotta go (laughs) i mean abigail brand is another shonda rhimes villain frankly (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, anyone anyone who likes beast with trish tilby I like Trish Tilby. She deserves. Better. I like her by herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's just it. Yes, I, I like, like Trish, but I like not her by herself. Yeah. Vera Cantor is one of my favorites, but I, I'm glad she left Beast behind. Uh, anyone who likes Beast with Dazzler, 
Again, <laughs> deserves better. Get well. her out of there. She's too I good for him. No. Get a job. Leave her S. alone. S. Yeah. Uh, any... Like when the stalker hyperfans. So as we talk about this, before we shift into the trial, is there anything that's really standing out to you guys? It's like, oh, okay, I've learned something about the Beast today so far. Real quick, I wanted to mention Beast with Cecilia was oh, my sure. fav- favorite oh, relationship. yeah. Because Cecilia took no shit from him and still doesn't <laughs> in newer comics. I think she made him question who was the smart one in the relationship. Yeah compared to any of his other relationships. So I think Cecilia was a good one. I forgot about that one, actually. I forgot they were together briefly. Uh, anything that's like really stood out is like, oh, wow, okay, I learned this about the Beast so far before we jump into the trial. I had never thought about Beast's jealousy and antagonism to Cyclops in these terms. So I think this is very interesting, mm-hmm. something that I really hadn't considered. Because if just... At a glance, if you actually look at the dynamics of the original team and what happened later, you would think that Beast would be Xavier's heir apparent. I mean, they have a similar moral questionability, you know, they have, <laughs> they have similar dilemmas and, you know, they, they have that misogynist streak. They both have that in spades. And for Cyclops to end up being the favorite you know that that is well not only cyclops but he's third in line it's cyclops yeah. it's gene cyclops beast maybe switch the first two but never yeah. the third yeah but he's not first and i can see yeah. how in a family which is the x-men are a family right in a family this yeah. dynamic comes up over and over and over again where there's that one kid that feels slighted even though they're well loved but mm-hmm. they're not first yeah well, and Cyclops is like the military strategist, but Beast is literally the smartest guy in the room. You guys know the, the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. I think with great <laughs> intelligence comes great arrogance. Yes. And the thing about Cyclops is that he actually questions himself. There's times that he doesn't, but he has that self-doubt and Beast doesn't have that. I think that's why Bobby and Beast bonded early on um, in the early days of the X-Men because they were both sort of like Bobby was dismissed as being like the dumb kid and Beast was dismissed Mm -hmm. as being like Mr. Arrogant Misogynist um, for possibly good reasons. There's also that sort of connection. Yeah. They're also the two (laughs) playful X-Men, but also they're the two gay X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, I was, I was just thinking, like, if you think of them as siblings, it is a lot like Beast is the one who's not the favorite and bitter about it, and Bobby's the one who's not the favorite and is kind of checked out. Like, <laughs> that's cool. I'm good. No one pay attention to me. Got my own thing going. Yeah. <laughs> Bradley, Bradley, when you first when you first came on Girl Making the Green Welcome Lane, do you remember the scene where Beast like gropes? Kesar's K- uh, biceps and like, oh, you're so handsome. Uh, and and Beast and Beast literally pretended to be gay in order to break up with a girl. So I, again, I think <laughs> they're no, bonded no, for more than one reason. Uh, any final thoughts before we begin the trial? I love uh, having educated discussions with fellow nerds. This is fantastic, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, so let's jump in. So the context for the, d- the for discussion of the trial itself, uh, just some things to keep in mind. I always like try to put this in a real world context as much as I can. Uh, Beast is often acting in a capacity, at least currently, and certainly since M-Day and the Genosian genocide, 
in which he has to make life or death decisions in the heat of combat. He has to consider things like property damage, civilian casualties, and risks to his friends. He's also facing not only deadly threats toward mutants, but potential genocide. Uh, most recently, he's a prime military operative for the country, running something akin to the FBI or the CIA, where he has to consider things like the greater good. Uh, he's like a J. Edgar Hoover type figure, running spies and police and military forces and influencing other governments. So we have to think on like a big level, right, like governmental uh, psychology almost here. So often with very public figures, we never hold them accountable for anything they've done unless they are exposed and public opinion turns against them. Uh. So that's something we see in the media quite frequently. So it's an interesting thing to consider, just points to think about the beast as we uh, put him on trial. So with that, let's begin the uh, trial of Henry McCoy. Now, we have five different sections we're going to hold him accountable for. We have appointed prosecution and defense on each side, and then we'll each vote each time afterward. And each of your votes gives a numerical score, which we will uh, 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 calculate at the end as far as how much of an asshole beast actually is. So when you are voting each time at the end of each five points, please keep this rating scale in mind. You will vote anywhere from one to five. One would be considered a justifiable action. Two, morally concerning. Three, definitely inappropriate. Four, over the line into criminal behavior. And five, just pure evil. So it's a, it's not the most poetically written scale, but it's something to consider context-wise. The higher the score you give, the more culpable Beast is in these particular actions. Uh, there's a lot of things we could have considered putting him on trial for, but we're keeping it to the most morally complex. So with that, let's begin the trial with point number one. After the Scarlet Witch warped reality on what came to be known as M-Day, only a few hundred mutants remained on the planet, where millions around the world lost their powers and many died. M-Day was considered a major trauma for all mutants, even now that resurrection is in place. Uh, they, these mutants now faced genocide, as not only were there only a few hundred mutants left, but no more new mutants were being born in this time period. Just before this, 16 million mutants had been killed by sentinels on Genosha. Cyclops took on the leadership role of keeping the remaining mutants alive, while Beast went on a quest to restore the mutant gene. After months of studying the gene as it had been impacted, working with scientists like Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic and Yellow Jacket, Beast realized that he would need to stretch his ethics if he wanted to save the mutant race from extinction. So he arranged a meeting online with several insane criminal scientists to ask for their help. And these are people like Kavita Rao and the High Evolutionary, Arnim Zola, Dr. Doom, Mr. Sinister, MODOK, Spiral, Pandemic, and Sugar Man, and even the Dark Beast, who again had once kidnapped and tortured this man. While working closely with the Dark Beast specifically, Beast drank a serum that gave him access to many of the Dark Beast's memories of torturing and experimenting people on people in the Age of Apocalypse. When Forge confirmed that there were no more mutant samples that existed in the multiverse, something Beast had already confirmed on his own, Beast angrily attacked his friend Forge and chose to leave with the Dark Beast instead. So there's a clear decision to go to the dark side at this point. Mm. They then visited the Guthrie family, the family of Cannonball and Husk, where they tried to get genetic samples. And Beast was horrified when the Dark Beast injected the human boy, Louis Guthrie, 
with a serum that mutated and nearly killed him. And then Beast ended his partnership with the Dark Beast at that point. Soon, Doctor Strange showed Beast world, worlds in which he had turned, in, excuse me, he showed Beast parallel worlds in which Beast had turned to science and magic and faith and even evil. And in all of these, he was attempting to cure the mutant gene problem, but none of them he was successful. Despondent, Beast felt very helpless. He could find no answers. And in time, he formed the X-Club, which was a group of scientists, both mutant and non. During the X-Club's adventures, they traveled back in time, where they faced an early Sentinel prototype in the year 1906. And that battle resulted in the great earthquake of 1906, <laughs> which really happened. Uh, and this earthquake killed hundreds of people. So the accusation in this section is, Beast worked with supervillains instead of allies and made many morally questionable decisions, resulting in a severe trauma for many, but specifically Lewis Guthrie. And then later his research caused this massive earthquake in the past. Let's turn the time over first to our prosecution with Alicia. Hello. Okay, let's get it. Um, <laughs> here's, here's my overarching statement is that it really boils down to the intention of the actions overall. And though the intention may have started out to be to solve this problem, I think the intention soon became not just to solve the problem, but to be the one who solves the problem. And so in order to be the one to solve the problem, uh, Beast burned some bridges and did things that maybe would have been advised against. I think you know, the moment for me that really turned into, okay, this is more about you wanting to be the one to solve the problem and not really focusing on what the problem itself is, was the conversation with Forge and the back and forth, you know, started out as a discussion. And then Beast said, I'm the one who solved the legacy virus, not you. So I'm going to solve this problem essentially. And I think everything from that point on was really motivated in being the one who has to have the answers and not being a team player and finding out what that answer is. And in the conversations with Dr. Strange, if you see all these alternate options of you being the one trying to solve this problem and it not working, you should look to another way that's not just you solving the problem, but in continuing to be the one who needed to solve the problem, then the going back in time, which don't get me started on time travel at all, um, <laughs> caused more problems. And then, you know, then we're in a bad situation. So overall, I think Beast's ego got the better of him in this particular situation. And therefore, he wasn't really caring about mutants. He was just caring about being the one who could say he cared the most about the mutants. Okay. And then for defense, let's go to Dylan. How am I supposed to follow that up? <laughs> yeah. also, also, how am I supposed to defend Beast? But <laughs> I, will I will try. So I'm going to start with some of the words that Alicia started with. His intentions. There was 16 million mutants that had already been killed. And then no more mutants are going to be born and lots of mutants lost their abilities. It didn't really seem like the rest of the world, especially like the Avengers or the Fantastic Four, all these people that he spoke to, none of them were doing anything to help mutants. 
They were just like, oh, you're doing that? Okay, well, here's my thought. Anyway, back to what I was doing. None of them were helping the mutants. So everything and everyone that Beast spoke to, he saw this as, I'm going to have to do this myself because no one else is doing it. So yes, the intention was there. It may have got swayed, but I mean... (laughs) He saw that no one else was doing it. So that just put more and more pressure on my client to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think mistakes were made, but even though he's a mutant, he's a human mutant and all humans make mistakes. So that's where I rest my case. Let's uh, let's hear from other members of our esteemed jury, jury on this point. What are your thoughts? Okay, I'm going to back you up, Dylan, because this is actually, I remember reading it in real time when all this was kind of unfolding. And even though it was horrifying and sad, you're right. I mean, who else was actually trying to solve this problem? And the issue is that he just got more and more desperate because there did not seem to be a way to undo what happened. And so now at this point, the genocide of his people is almost complete and he has nowhere to turn. There's nobody that's going to cross these lines. Sinister has no lines. Let's just be honest. Zero lines. (laughs) He will cross any and every line to just do whatever. So this is a moment of, of great despair And he really has no other choices at this point. He's not even trying to, this is Beast trying to be collaborative, maybe in the wrong way, but he knows he can't find the answer. The answer has to be out there somewhere. The heroes are like, well, too bad, so sad. It happened. We can't figure it out. Good luck to you. And so now he's got to figure out where can I find the answer? Nobody else is trying to fix what happened. Nobody. You know, even people I call my friends, they, they don't, it's like, they don't care. So I'm going to do what I got to do to try to figure out how to help and save my people. I think a lot of his actions to come from not processing his grief. His way of trying to process his grief is by trying to fix this. And so, mm. like, yeah, you can see like he's still in this sort of shock and devastation and desperation about what's happened and not seeing anybody else trying to fix it because they are they are processing their grief. They are, are trying to move on and figure out what does life look like from here. And he is nowhere near accepting what happened and there has to be a way out of it. And I think, um, I know Bethany mentioned in the beginning about him needing a friend or how valuable friends are with his mindset. And he didn't go to anyone. He didn't find anyone. There was no one to kind of uh, like listen to what he's feeling to maybe talk him out of it. Like, okay, you've gone to all the good people, all the bad people, and no one knows how to solve this. And so having someone who could have helped him just deal with the trauma could have helped. I think- party. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh. I think when you consider who he asked for help, I think it's bold to go there. He certainly thought he could contain this. Yeah. Like, I can get the stuff I need and then I'll be fine. But you consider some of the people that he chose, Pandemic and Dark Beast, who personally had tortured this man, 
and Arnim Zola, who's fucking insane, Mr. Sinister. I think <laughs> I think there's certain people he could have reached out to, but he was clearly making a decision to step beyond what would be considered morally acceptable by any of his allies. He then made that choice again when he turned against Forge. Now, where he's slightly redeemable is when he saw what Dark Beast did to Lewis Guthrie, he's, he backed away. He, mm-hmm. he chose to change paths. And that's, he's, I don't know. It's like deciding to go rob the gas station with your friends, but then you run when your friend shoots the gas station, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's still a level of complicity, but at least, but at least he turned away at a particular point. But uh, I, I do agree. He was faced with extraordinary amounts of trauma here and he wasn't seeing any of his friends work hard on this in the way that he was willing to. Uh, so this is the start of like beast going down a very slippery slope uh, and he doesn't slide too far, but it's still pretty far. I mean, ask Lewis Guthrie how he feels about these decisions, right? <laughs> Other thoughts on yeah. this? I don't fault him for turning to the villains. I feel like... You're supposed to be on my side. No, so I... <laughs> hold up. Hold up. <laughs> Chill out. Okay. I don't Chill. fault him for going yeah. to the villains. I feel like, you know, he, he addressed the greatest minds of humanity. He tried to do it the right way, and he needed to explore some other options. I think that there is something to say about lines that he wouldn't cross, but still after it's the Forge and Doctor Strange part where, yeah, he didn't maybe reach out to some people further down the line, but when some of the people that you respect that are able to show you, hey, what you're doing isn't working and it's just going to lead to more negative things. And he rejected that and he kept on going. And it was almost as though he had spiraled too far and had been driven into needing to solve this problem on his own. Uh. That I, I just, I can't excuse that because you have these people that are saying, hey, hey, you tried this, you tried everything. You tried all the things that you are not the one that can solve this problem. He's like, no, 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 no. hold my beer. I'm gonna go solve this problem. Any other, uh, oh, Bethany, go ahead. This rem- oh. oh, sorry. It, this reminds me of um, what Jude the Obscure. Um, there's this bit where Jude, who's um, the small town semi-genius, who has a, a huge idea of himself, and he faces a crushing defeat. And he faces the choice to go back to his, um, to his family and his friends in his little um, village outside of Oxford and live with what he has or to um, sacrifice his family, the person he's married, and um, and sacrifice it all in pursuit of this dream that he's probably not going to get. And it's um, there's a, a quote that says, if somebody had come, um, <laughs> if somebody had come along and comforted him then, um, it, it would have been different, but nobody did come because nobody does. And under the crushing recognition of his gigantic error, Jude continued to wish himself out of the world. And I think like that Beast could have used a, a moment of crushing recognition of his gigantic error. Um, and in a sense, maybe the Guthrie boy was provided that for him, but um, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough of a um, of, of a realization of a shock to turn him around completely because he continued pursuing this path. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to mention one more thing sorry. just to try to sway people to choose number one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you do 
have to realize that just the mention of he did go to Dark Beast, like this person literally yeah. took his spot, put him behind a brick wall and took his spot. <laughs> and Beast's friends didn't even realize that it wasn't their friend. Like none of them even <laughs> liked Beast to begin with. Yeah. To even realize that he was replaced <laughs> by this person. And Beast a psycho decides, <laughs> yeah, Beast decides to go to this psycho to help save everyone mm. who doesn't even like him anyway. So also there's just like there's no shortage of morally corrupt super geniuses who aren't super villains that he could have gone to. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> The the villains aren't the only uh, aren't the only smart ones there. <laughs> uh, well, and Dark Beast referencing that specific story, Dark Beast also murdered some of Beast's like cherished people from his childhood, like uh, right before he kidnapped Beast. Yeah, too. there was some decisions made. Everybody except his parents. Yeah, I would just like to say Dark Beast is not on trial here. <laughs> uh, Beast is on trial, and uh, yeah, uh, that's well. All. Are we ready to vote on point one? <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go Noel first. So if you guys have your scores in front of you, one through five. I'm going to go three. He just was too single-minded and couldn't get out of it. It's going to be three for me as well. I feel like he had some, some justification in the decisions he made, mm-hmm. and I admire him for pulling back when it went too far. Alicia? I'm going four. It's not pure evil, but mine's the <laughs> Justin. I'm gonna say three. I don't know if I can say three and a half because I feel like I'm, I'm kind of in between. Where I, I just—it's definitely inappropriate. He went a little too far. He he did pull back a little bit, but not enough to really sway his later action. I think I'm talking myself into a four. I think I'm gonna go four. <laughs> As we said, you got you to round up or down. Yeah, uh, Bethany. Two. Actually, I'm gonna go for a two. Um, because I, I do, again, I, I do really believe that he was acting um, really inappropriately, but I think that his intentions sway it. And I think Dylan's last, um, last comment changed my mind. <laughs> um, and because he's trying to save people who hate him. So Dylan, you've, you've won me over to your case um, too. <laughs> Dylan. Um. <laughs> I'm not just saying this because I was the defense on this one. Like out of all the points that we are going to be talking about today, this one I feel is the least awful thing that could be used against him. So I'm, I'm going with a one. Regina. You know, in our synopsis, we mentioned that, you know, he went back into time and there was like a sentinel attack and it created this earthquake and it killed a bunch of people, but who's really to blame for the sentinel attack? I would put the blame on the people who created the Sentinel, not Beast, because that wouldn't have happened if the Sentinel didn't exist. And Sentinels are created to wipe out mutants, right? So this is self-defense. Everything he's done at this point is sheer desperation and form of self-defense. So I'm going to go with one. And uh, Bradley? Um, I'm going to say... To, uh, yeah, I think he's just chewing his own shit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think it's uh, unquestionable. I think it's not great, though. So that's a score of 20 out of 35 for that one. We'll take, we'll do the math at the end. Uh, uh, 
Brilliant, you guys. Let's go to point number two. Uh, when the Skrulls, who are a shape-shifting, crazy alien race, launched a full-scale invasion on Earth during Secret Invasion after they had kidnapped and replaced key figures and governments around the world, planetary war was declared and superheroes fought back. The Beast, specifically, alongside the X-Men, did some experiments on some captured Skrulls and realized that their, the shifting nature of their DNA meant that they were constantly undergoing mutations in their own bodies. So Beast then weaponized the legacy virus, which was a virus that specifically would kill mutants because of their mutations before, and one that he had cured. He weaponized the legacy virus to attack the Skrulls, and he brought it back to the X-Men, wondering how they felt about genocide. Cyclops presented the case to the X-Men, and then they chose to activate the virus, feeling that it was their best option to win the war. Many Skrulls died violently and then spread this virus to other members of their race, killing them as well. So lots of innocent Skrulls died as well as the soldiers. Uh, the accusation here is that despite working hard to save his own race from the deadly legacy virus, Beast weaponized this same virus to end an alien invasion, killing many soldiers and innocents along the way. Uh, let's hear the prosecution from Bradley. To ask how they feel about genocide is fun. That's a fun <laughs> <laughs> That's nice and festive. Uh, um, <laughs> do I need to do a prosecution for weaponizing AIDS against a, like, <laughs> against a, a race of people? I mean, like, uh, I understand, like, this, this is, this is very much, um, where you kind of see his path headed toward what we've kind of talked about is is inexcusable uh, nowadays. His behavior as the CIA um, goon that he is currently. Um, I will give him that. Hi, I will give him Aww. that. Uh, this is my kitty. Um, but um, <laughs> I will give him that it was someone else's directive that led him to do this. It was Cyclops ask him for, in, in no uncertain terms, he wanted basically this, um, or some kind of ace in the hole and at any cost. Um, but you make a nuke and it, it, it's just not a, it's not a morally questionable thing, it's bad. <laughs> okay, let's hear the defense from Bethany. Okay, so um, this is really hard. Um, why Hank is innocent-ish. Um, so I think that it's important, as, as Bradley said, it's, it's important to, um, to note that Cyclops was the one who ordered him to do this. I think it's also important to note that Hank created a cure for the scrolls. So this was intended to be a, um, a bargaining chip. Um, it was intended to be a way of manipulating their behavior and getting them to leave peacefully um, without spreading the virus. Of course, you know, it's almost impossible to contaminate people with an, with an illness that's this virulent um, and not expect it to escape the boundaries that you've set for it. Um, but I don't think Hank is responsible for the fact that the Skrulls uh, decided to self-immolate rather than um, accept a cure or leave peacefully. Um, so I, I think that he's innocent on that. Um, it's really hard to defend weaponizing <laughs> AIDS and I'm <laughs> not comfortable. Um, but 
I think that um, I think that the fact that Scott didn't ask if he'd made a cure, even though he had, um, puts this more on Summers than on Beast. Um, I, I would like to do a, a trial of Scott Summers. I think that would be really cool. We'll, um, we'll get there eventually. I think, yeah. And but the X Men, um, the X Men didn't save the Skrulls against their will, so they could have taken taking care of them while they were while they were all sick and then you know administered the cure once they were a safe distance from earth no they didn't they just let them you know kill themselves and again that wasn't on beast particularly and that's the best defense that i can jump up for this guy um because it's not easy <laughs> um so I, i'm actually going to be voting against my candidate here I'm looking no, forward to the rest of I'm looking forward to the rest of the where people go, how can I possibly like, defend him? Like, <laughs> well, um, I do think I tried. Like, on the subject of this isn't Scott, this isn't the uh the Scott Summers one, but the quote that sort of wraps up the issue where they just did that was interesting, where he Beast asks Scott, uh, all's well that ends well, Scott. And uh, Scott says, looks that way from here, something on your mind. And he said, yeah, the fact that um, you decided to use the legacy virus before you ask if we had a working antidote. Like, yeah, the antidote I, I must give uh, in this instance, um, Beast had a higher moral code than uh, Cyclops. That's not yes. saying much, but I was, damn, it was dark. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why the other X-Men were going along with it before the reveal of the antidote. And then it, that, then it made sense. Um, sort of, not really. Sort of. Um, <laughs> sort of. If you squint, if you turn your head mm -hmm. and squint. Um, but fact, yeah. The fact that Beast did not make this decision himself, if he had just tossed the virus out there, I'd have a different feeling. But this was a kill yeah. or be killed scenario. The scrolls were literally trying to conquer the planet. This was war at its very this core. They were trying to conquer the planet, but they weren't trying to eliminate everyone. They were only eliminating enough people to control human behavior. Um, and also the idea that you must do this. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I, I'm not. I, but like what the X-Men were doing was say, hey, let's wipe out an entire species. Um, but I, this is a difficult one. It is a kill or be killed situation. And I acknowledge that like, um, being having your planet conquered is an overrun and enslaved is not good um any thoughts from the rest of the jury yeah <laughs> i mean like you said this when i first started reading it i was like yeah this is bad but at the same time if the scrolls hadn't invaded it wouldn't have happened this is more of an effect of something that happened than Beast just going out willy-nilly, making a decision like he did with the telephoronics, which was a completely different situation. We were not Why at war with keep... those people. And so he he did what Scott said, and he came up uh, with an antidote because he didn't want to be responsible for the genocide of another group of people, even though they actively attacked his planet. And Sometimes in war, you have to make really terrible decisions. This was a really, really terrible decision. He did what he had to do, but he also had a plan on trying to alleviate the suffering that was to come instead of just letting the suffering go unchecked. Mm -hmm. Cyclops yeah. asked him to do something, didn't ask him to, to be the fixer. 
and Beast took it upon himself to try to alleviate the suffering that was going to come. I may have I, to give him points for that. May I ask a question? Because if I'm being completely honest, I didn't read these comics. Um, did did <laughs> Scott say, Beast, we need a solution to our problem. And Beast said, ooh, what about the legacy virus? Or did Scott no, say, no. Beast, we need to weaponize the legacy virus. And then he said, okay, fine, I'll do it. But I'm going to make an antidote. But I'm not going to tell you at first. Beast, I made the antidote. That was he all said Beast. he needed a nuclear bomb. And um, Scott said we needed a nuclear bomb, though. Mm-hmm. Like something. Um, a, yeah. yeah. But it is so the idea. Why was Beast keeping? Sorry, why was Beast keeping the legacy virus in the refrigerator in his lab? Like, <laughs> well, we have yeah, so that they have smallpox, uh, they have all these diseases yeah. that they, yeah, but they have use. smallpox not in their, not in your house. You've got smallpox, little Russian like, men. In, yeah, and it's it's in an ice dome, isn't it? Like, yeah. So that um, that for me is like sort like, of the the turning point of like, or that's the question in my mind. Like, yes, the entire like the decision to use this was not made by Beast solely, and he was put in a situation of saying like, you must come up with something that is the answer. But for that to be the choice regardless of whether or not there's an antidote that for me is where it becomes the issue i i want to give him the benefit of saying you are being attacked and you're trying to do everything that you can to save your people but i don't think like you have if you're a person who is as smart as beast is supposed to be you know that you can't control a virus once it's out so if you have the antidote you don't know how that virus is going to affect. And even if the in, even if the intent is for the soldiers only, like you have to know that there's going to be some instances when that's going to become out of your control and could infect other, you know, beings that are not just the soldiers. So that's where it gets dicey for me because I, I can understand the being put in a situation where you have to come up with a solution where you want to do anything that you can to possibly save your your people or the whole planet, but Mm. to use something that you feel so strongly about that was used against you to then take that and use it against other people. That's where the line, like that's where the line is crossed for me. That's where there's not really, I can't really give you the benefit of the doubt because you could have come up with another solution or you could have just said, there's nothing I could do. That's I don't a fantastic, know. I just, that's a fantastic yeah. point, Alicia. And it's almost like he was thinking about yeah. this in advance. Like he, he was <laughs> waiting for an opportunity to weaponize the legacy virus almost. Like, yeah, just yeah, I, I, like yeah. that in my back pocket, just in case I need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's I, again, it is in his work fridge. Right next to his lunch. Full of superheroes, I refuse to believe an AIDS bomb is the only answer to your problem. Like, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you have to do that. There were other yeah. answers. The way the story is written, it's framed that, like, this is the only answer. We got to use the AIDS bomb. No, <laughs> it's dumb. <laughs> And for, and, and for our listeners in context, at the time period in which the legacy virus, which was a virus that killed mutants, was introduced in the comics, it was during the AIDS it epidemic. 
it was kind of directly parallel to the AIDS crisis for the gay population. So there, there's some parallels. Well, the reason we keep saying AIDS instead of like- I just realized without crazy. the context, this, yeah. these must sound like really dark jokes. No, and yeah, no, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a powerful parallel. Uh, Noelle, what were you going to say a moment ago? Sorry. Oh, I, I was totally on board with what Alicia said because um, he chose to look into research for genocide. And so yeah. when he presents the idea to Cyclops, it's how do you feel about genocide? And like <laughs> the the between the lines is because I'm cool with it. Like yeah. <laughs> he's asking. And so I feel like he knew he knows it's bad. He knows genocide is a bad solution. And he wants to shift the blame to Cyclops or to the other X-Men. He wants to share the blame because yeah. he knows genocide is bad. So he's like, but will you guys do it? Because I will, if you will. I fucking love these discussions. They like literally changed my mind during our conversations. It makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, any final? Do you any... all think that the scrolls would have stopped the war with anything less than genocide, though? I think. No. They, I, I think so. the other scrolls would have maybe. Um, like you're I talking about the entire been... nation of people. Um, but. I, the uh, scrolls were going a, to subjugate and enslave humanity during this storyline. I think there yeah, was a potential yeah. second option that could have been considered. Like that was the oh hey you know you know what I've been thinking about a lot the legacy virus. But I feel like <laughs> that was your first thought. You went to Cyclops. It's like hey I mean I could go back to the lab for twenty more minutes and think about something else. But hey I have weaponized genocide right here. I feel like there could have been a little bit more consideration of what else could have been done to defeat the scrolls and eliminate their in infiltration but that was the task at hand that they needed to stop the subjugation and, and overrunning of the entire earth this is going to be an uncomfortable parallel but if we're using the war got, scenario let's talk yeah. about world war ii for a second there's the decision to either fight the yes! nazis with our yeah, armed forces the the room. or to drop the bomb on nagasaki yeah. and kill lots of innocents i mean that's kind of the decision we're facing I, one is that was i mean i i was nagasaki was a, a city that was actually they uh, were i i think that the, the difference between those two is that japan was ready to surrender and everybody, the generals knew, the president yeah. knew, everybody knew they were willing to surrender. And I think that was just the U.S. flexing and saying, you know what, not only are you going to surrender, you're going to bow down to our military prowess and the world is going to fear us. But I do agree. And they know, bombed one of the. If you could, mm -hmm. if you could have inoculated a virus to rescue all of these people who had been enslaved and were in camps and all of that, would you do it? I'm so fascinated and uncomfortable no. with this discussion. <laughs> my, okay, so my uh, my foster mom is um, is Filipino, right? And uh, you know the Philippines was occupied by Japan, and it was horrific. Her mother, um, so my grandmother, um, was ten years old when the when the Japanese came into her village, and they were capturing all the girls between the ages of about eight and 35 or 40 um and enslaving them um and subjugating them and raping them and it was awful um and so my grandmother spent three months hiding in a um a bin of rice and like so i grew up hearing stories about like oh don't trust the japanese hate the japanese but um <laughs> but the thing is 
the people in the Philippines aren't going to like, you know, blow the crap out of Japan. They weren't advocating for vengeance and they weren't advocating for the slaughter of innocence um, even after their innocence had suffered. Um, so I, I think, and again, yeah, that's that's all. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story, Bethany. Look at what comic books get us talking about. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> let's, um, yeah. let's, let's vote on point two. Are we okay? Oh, I oh, Bradley, have one last thing to say before we yeah. get there. The sequence yeah. of Beast going to Cyclops asking, what do you think about genocide? And Cyclops going, I don't know. Let's ask like X-Men what they think about genocide. <laughs> While like cloud yeah. music plays in the background. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> great comic. So let's uh, let's start with you, Bradley. What's your vote this time? Five. Death to all of them. Like... <laughs> Uh, no, I mean uh, one through five. Uh, how culpable is Beast? Yeah, five, five, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bethany, yeah. I agree. Five, absolutely. I hey. was supposed to be defending. <laughs> I, I failed in that. Um, you know well. Yeah, five. Yeah. Regina, all spare love and war. Two. I am also voting two. Dylan. Sorry, I couldn't find my unmute button. Um, I was going to do a, a low number, but there was some persuasion that was gifted by Alicia, but not too good of a gift. I'm going to do a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, and I'm going to give some clarification for my two vote. I think although the scrolls really were hurt by this and it's shitty to use a virus, I also think Beast likely saved a lot of human lives. That's kind of the justification for my vote. Uh, Justin. Yeah, I'm going to go with three just because of the situation at hand. I, I feel like there was some short-sightedness that you could have found another answer that would have saved. But the fact that he created a cure for it in this defense of the world, I, I three. And Alicia? Five. Emphatically. Five. <laughs> I'm so bloodthirsty. Okay. <laughs> Give me the five. We're bloodthirsty. We're not actually murdering him. This one, gives us, you um, him later. <laughs> this one gives us a 27 out of 35. That's a pretty high score. Uh, does anybody need a break before we move to point three? Or are we good to go ahead? Okay, we're going to move ahead with point three then. That's, this was fascinating, you guys. I'm like feeling all sorts of feelings. Thank you. Okay, point three. A series of escalating events complicated the lives of mutants. Bastion nearly killed all of the remaining mutants on Earth after M-Day, so there's only a few hundred left. Norman Osborn took over the government, during which time Beast was really horribly tortured. And Hope Summers, who was known at the time as the mutant messiah, was born, which signified now that new mutants are starting to be born again, though all those who had lost their powers still remained human or powerless. Throughout all of this, Beast grew very critical of Cyclops' leadership. Uh, the X-Men had formed kind of an island nation on Utopia. Cyclops was in charge, and Beast was very critical of this. He felt like Cyclops had gone too far into like military general mode, had laid, made a lot of bad decisions, and they resulted in friends like Nightcrawler dying. Then, while Cyclops was under the influence, quote-unquote, of the Phoenix Force, uh, Professor X was murdered by Cyclops. Beast began to see Cyclops as out of control, and he felt like he needed to stop him. Though he knew he could never kill him, 
Uh, he felt like, or he convinced himself that Cyclops would be responsible for some sort of mutant genocide. Now, the X-Men also split down the middle during this time. Wolverine started one school of, of X-Men. Cyclops was kind of an outcast and started another school. Beast felt his body mutating again and realized he was dying. And he wanted to do something very profound and drastic to alter the world before he was gone. So he traveled back in time and he cornered the five original X-Men, including the teenage version of himself, and gave them like several very harsh truths all at once, including the fact that Cyclops in the future had killed Professor X. Then he told these teenage mutants that he needed them to come to the present or the future in order to prevent a quote unquote mutant genocide. The teens immediately asked Beast why he didn't just kill the adult Cyclops, but he stated that was a line he could never cross. So after he brought the teens forward to the present, he collapsed seemingly dying and Jean Grey, the teenage version, soon interfaced with him telepathically while her, his younger self operated on Beast's body. Beast invited Jean to download her entire history from his brain, including the time she had died, and she, she suffered a significant emotional trauma as a result. Jean later read Beast's thought as he remembered lusting after her as a teen, uh, inspiring her to consider trying a relationship with the teen version of Beast. Beast's condition soon stabilized and he encouraged the teens to go back in the past, but they refused. Months passed before they were finally sent back with their memories altered. And it's, it's worthy to note that they did try to return to the past a couple of times during this, but they were unable to do so. Like the space-time space continuum and some future time travelers stopped it from happening. The X-Men later tried to hold an intervention for the Beast, but he grew, he grew furiously defensive and stormed out, quitting the team. During this time, the Watcher himself appeared to Beast and showed him how horribly wrong his decisions could have gone. So the accusation here is Beast put the entire space-time continuum, like all of reality, in danger by bringing past versions of the team forward in the present without considering the consequences. Because if they're living in the future, they can never live the past, which means the future never happened. It's a time paradox. He lied to the teens and then traumatized them. When confronted, he refused to take responsibility. Uh, Noel, for the prosecution, please. Happy to do it. Um, so I've <laughs> mentioned a couple times so much of a problem I have with these just unilaterally making decisions. Like, take a second and ask Storm what she thinks about what you're about to do. Anyone. Maybe even Charles Xavier, because uh, he said that he knew Charles would wipe their minds. Except he... Charles was dead. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was thinking. Of... Yeah. All right. Okay. Even, even though Charles. I still think even Charles would be like, mm, I don't know about this one. Um, because he just thinks he's so smart that he always knows what's right. He's never wrong. And I think it was really manipulative and cruel to bring the original X-Men to the future. They are still kids and somehow Beast wants to use them as like this little flagship of optimism and hope. And so it's their job to fix the future because that's what he feels. Um, and everything they went to is really traumatic. And Beast doesn't even care about that. He just wants them as pawns to help for his own personal cause. Um, and the, he mentions that, you know, their memories can be wiped and so all of that can go away, but 
current times, we don't even understand how memory works. And I think Wolverine is a good example of how problematic wiping people's memories are. Like maybe they can't access them right now, but they're still in there somewhere. And those memories could come back and just re-traumatize them. And so he's just willing to do that to them. Um, so I think the fact that at the end, Beast doesn't even res accept responsibility or second guess what he did is just like the icing on the cake for just his callous disregard for other people. So ignoring like the space time continuum thing, I think on a very personal level, this was just incredibly cruel of him to do. And Justin for the defense. Esteemed members of the jury, we all know people that we look up to. Scott Summers <laughs> was someone that Henry McCoy looked up to, a leader and friend that he'd grown up with, the person that he thought would carry out the dream of Charles Xavier. But Scott Summers twisted that dream into a nightmare. Scott lost his way. Just killing Xavier would have been one thing, but embracing this militaristic ideology of mutant superiority, that's not the Scott Summers that any of the X-Men recognized. Now, was what he did reckless? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yes, and a, a direct violation of the most basic time travel rules, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Not only desperate times for his people, the mutant people, but for himself. Henry was inspired to do something out of the box when he thought he, this was his final remaining time. He was on death's door. I can do one more thing, and this is the thing that I'm going to do to be the leader the X-Men needed by bringing the X-Men leader that they once had. He had to stop an all-out war from erupting. He had to bring Scott Summers back from the past to inspire his future self and avert the tragedy that was going to happen. Justin, at the end of every day, I have a conversation with my kids about their favorite moments and worst moments from the day. This was my favorite moment of the entire time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that was that was stunning. Uh, before we continue, let's hear <laughs> let's hear thoughts from the rest of the jury on uh, on these uh, these actions by the beast. If you don't get why. Cyclops would kill Professor Xavier. You just don't know Xavier well enough. That's right. <laughs> I'm kidding a little bit. But the idea <laughs> that he did all this because like, oh no, Cyclops is a mutant supremacist. And then like in their time, pan to like a year later, <laughs> and he's the leader of the mutant CIA. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so... Really, he had no actual reason to do this at all, other than to try to show Cyclops, you see, I told you so. And it just didn't work out. And it traumatized Jean Grey again. Yet again, we have another instance of her getting traumatized. You know, we have these kids that, and, and they're completely flummoxed. They don't know why the hell they're, they're here. And he really, there was really no point for him to do that. He could have just chosen to say, you know what, Scott, I can't be friends with you. I'm out and just left. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose to try to, again, come back with a F you and for what purpose exactly? The, what's done is done. And Cyclops, you know, 
did he have to kill Professor X? Again, this is a corruption by a cosmic force. Again, he has some culpability, but not all the culpability. And yet Beast is here after you've unleashed this weaponized legacy virus, right? <laughs> and you've, done all this, you've done all this really terrible crap yourself. And the hypocrisy of just like Beast, this is when I really started to turn. Like, I'm done with you. <laughs> so he, I have. Oh, go ahead, Bradley. Oh, I was going to make a joke. I have to say for the defense, uh, him bringing the teens to the present was A, really fun for me, and B, they got really cool outfits. And so, like, <laughs> to not win. Great <laughs> narratives. Fuck the time you know? stream. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was brilliant storytelling. I, I did a whole episode on the time travel. But I uh, let me ask the question. Let me pause the question. Now, let's assume Beast did think that the mutants were like really in danger. Professor X is dead. The dream is gone. Cyclops needs to be brought to justice. What could he have done that did not involve time travel and like space-time paradox? Get a telepath. He could have got a telepath. Like do a little, have a telepath, do a little montage for Scott Summers of remember what you used to be like? You don't have to bring him back, just, you know, make him remember. He could have like formed a team to take Cyclops down. Could have had a conversation with another person. But he was dying. So really, what what time did he have? It he, was not, it was for him. He first did all thought, this for best himself. thought. You know, you go with your gut and you do what you have to do. I want to be was, clear. I am not actually in defense of his actions. I, I just needed, I was hired as his defense stream. attorney and I needed to play the role. Here's the thing. If he was dying, he was doing this for himself and so that he could go out on top. My man. Yeah. <laughs> he could have asked for help. He could have asked for help about the whole dying thing instead of putting it off. Um, you know, he, instead of putting it off. And he could have created a device. Right. He could have created a device and brought all of his positivity and his love for the prior version of Cyclops that he loved so much and given it to him with his dying breath. And I think that would have had way more of an impact, even though Cyclops was right. I'm just saying. This just, right. this just occurred to me, but if he had a time machine, he could have gone back and saved Xavier from dying, or he could have gone back and stopped Scarlet Witch from like causing M-Day in the first place. Instead, he chose to give Cyclops a final fuck you. Like, like that was his only motivation here, frankly, because if you had a time machine and you're going to use it, he could have used it in a very different way. Yeah, Are we ready? Are we ready to vote on this one? I think we all have very strong feelings on it. I want to say something that goes along the lines of the time travel thing and why he did that. Maybe this will help Justin. I don't know. Uh, he was dying. Cyclops, to a lot of people, even at this point in time, was a jerk. Gene was dead. Maybe he, you know, still had feelings for Gene. So he's like, I'm going to bring Gene back. Cyclops is a jerk. I'm going to bring Cyclops back. That's not a jerk. And I'm dying. I'm going to bring myself back. <laughs> so again, it is kind of selfish for him, but he was also saving everyone. Hey, everybody hates me. How about the old beast that everybody loved? 
And I'm going to bring a new Iceman to annoy the Iceman I know, because that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) He also could have gone back in time. Let's say he went back to the original team. He also could have said to them something like, hey, in the future, this is going to happen. You guys should try to change events. Instead, he pulled them forward into the time stream, which means like the whole world's going to come unraveled. I don't know. It's it's really it's really hard to defend him on this one. But, but Justin, but you were he, brilliant. He had the intent of returning them. This was just like a little a quick interlude. This was a, a little show. Hey, I brought these kids. Be inspired. All right. They go back. <laughs> but the kids have to come and go through some shit. Yeah, yeah. we all go through some shit. Hey, I mean, we got a gay Iceman as a result. <laughs> It's true. I mean, think about the benefits that we got. Oh, my Lanta. Uh, let's uh, let's start with Alicia here. All right. Oh man, I'm 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 between a three and a four because it's definitely inappropriate for sure. It's not pure evil, but I think I'm gonna go four because of the the way that he inflicted trauma that to me goes into like criminal behavior and like manipulation things. So I'm going for Dylan not on your side. Um, I was confused. Like when we started this whole thing, I was like, I hate these. And then as these <laughs> points were being said, I'm like, wait, I might've done these things too. If I was in that place, but I'm going to say that, like Alicia said, but the main point was driven home by Noelle when she started her prosecution. The trauma to those five kids is really awful. And they are kids. So I'm going to say four. Noelle? I'm going to go five. He wasn't sorry in the end. If he had shown remorse, maybe. Uh, I'm also going to say five. He was willing to unwrite reality in order to give a fuck you to Cyclops. I don't think there's any justification. Uh, Bethany, are you still with us? They just messaged. Yeah, Bethany's having some trouble with uh, internet. So we're gonna skew the scores on this one or we can get her, uh, or they get their vote later. Uh, Bradley, go ahead. I okay. So oh, Bethany. It, Bethany it, voted five. She uh she sent. Uh, they, I'm sorry. They sent a, a chat forward. So go ahead, Bradley. Uh yeah, I think for me it's definitely it's between three and four. Also, it's like definitely morally questionable, which I dislike, but it's also hugely over dramatic, which I like. So I'm gonna say three. <laughs> Regina, I'm between a four and a five. I mean. God, this is, again, this is really what I was like, Beast, you are a bastard. (laughs) And he says it himself later, he's a bastard. And he didn't have to do it. The only thing he wanted to do was kind of tell Cyclops to F off. There was no immediate danger to anyone at that point. It wasn't an act of desperation other than he just wanted to be able to say, look, remember who you used to be? Well, that's called memory, Beast. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a five because the ramifications could have been so much worse. And the constant re-traumatization of Jean Grey is just not something I could ever be be approving of. (laughs) And finally, Justin. Uh, You know, my client. No, what does real Justin think? Real Justin thinks it's a four. It's a four, no question. So uh, the, the trauma done to this 
teenagers and the potential ramifications to life and existence as we know it. Yes, it was a first thought, best thought. Yeah, let's go for time traveling. And uh, <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible decision to do. So this is a composite score of 30 out of 35. Highest of yet. So far. And uh, let's move on to point number four. Excellent job, everybody. Uh, so after Professor X was killed by Cyclops, Beast learned of Xavier's, some of Xavier's last wishes, uh, one of which was for Beast to take Xavier's place among a group called the Illuminati, an alliance between several powerful, mostly white men, including Mr. Fantastic, Captain America, Iron Man, Black Panther, uh, Namor, the Submariner, Black Bolt, and Doctor Strange. Now, this group had been manipulating events behind the scenes together for years. We talked about this in Professor X's trial. Beast was given the powerful Mind Stone to keep protected. And as a member of the Illuminati, he became aware of the threat of planetary incursions, which was a cosmic level event that would place parallel Earths in the same plane of reality as our Earth. Now, one of these Earths would have to die or, or, or be destroyed another for the other Earth to survive. So there's a brilliant, crazy series by Jonathan Hickman uh, called New Avengers that explores all this. And the Illuminati had to face the choice rather either to destroy the other planet or see their own destroyed. They initially tried to use the Infinity Gems on the first incursion, but the gems burnt out. Then they wiped Captain America's memories uh, when he decided to leave the team. The Illuminati faced the escalating threats of Thanos and the Black Order and the Universal Builders. And they eventually had to start destroying planets during these incursions in order to keep their own world safe. Now, ultimately, the planet was taken over by Dr. Doom. He assembled a composite planet called Battle World, and then Earth was later destroyed because comic books. But <laughs> for, uh, for Beast as a member of the Illuminati, the accusation here is that Beast and the Illuminati destroyed these other planets in order to preserve their own Earth. Uh, let's hear the prosecution, this time from Regina. All right, Beast. So you are in a group of some of the most powerful men in the world. And the vast majority of the majority of them are white men. No women. Again, no women are in this group. <laughs> so you're supposedly fighting off these incursions and you're supposed to be defending the world. And Captain America himself is like, you know what? I'm fucking out. This is some bullshit. And so you are part of the agreement to wipe his memory, taking away his agency, taking away part of who he is. And we are supposed to justify that because you are saving the planet. And again, we have a lot of really powerful people on this planet who have done just fine protecting this earth from a lot of different kinds of people. You're going to tell me the only way is to destroy all these other planets. No beast. You need to go to the hole, think about it, have a timeout, take a nap, get some food, something, because you need a Snickers. You're hangry and you're not thinking straight. I have some severe problems with you doing this and you don't get a pass. Uh, and Alicia for the defense. Okay. Regina, just to um, aside, I love you. <laughs> Secondly, I'm going to use um, your earlier point against you and say, wouldn't the other Earths do anything they possibly could to save their own Earth? But aside from that point, how can you hold one person, Beast, 
responsible for the actions of an entire group, an entire group, which he really didn't have a choice of being a part of. First, he found out that his memory of even talking to Xavier about being in this group was wiped from him. Second, he shows up and they inject him with a tracker before he even agrees to be part of the group. And third, I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I believe he wasn't the one who came up with any of these ideas. He just sort of went along for the ride with them all. So I think in this particular instance, if he wasn't a new member to the group feeling that he needed to fill the shoes of Charles Xavier, who makes questionable decisions anyway, um, he, he didn't really have a place here. And then he saw what they did to Captain America when Captain America disagreed with them. So he had no choice but to go along for the ride. And though I do not agree with the actions of the group as a whole, I don't see that Beast is to blame for them because he was not really in a position uh, to to act out against the Illuminati being a new member and being fearful of what might happen to him if he did. And because, you know, he didn't even choose to be there. He just got put there. So that's my defense. Let me hear some of your thoughts, other jury members. Yeah, the Illuminati is always just going to be a no for me, dog. (laughs) Just everyone that joins it, it's always a bad decision. They always have all the evidence in front of them to know that this is going to go horribly wrong, and then they still do it. And then they're like, oh, how could I have known? This is like a very saw. If you guys have seen the saw movies, it's like a very saw decision. If I was put in a scenario where I either had to murder someone else's children or watch my own children be murdered, that's a horrible thing. And I can't imagine, but I would choose to protect my children. If you have to choose between this earth or the other earth, I'm going to do what it takes to preserve this one, which is a horrible thing, but he didn't create the scenario. Uh, And he, and it was also a team decision. I, I yeah. do think uh, I do think there's some culpability for the whole team, which which is why it makes me think of the scroll point that we argued earlier. You know, it, it's just something has to be done about what's happening, and and he's not even the the lead guy in charge this time. He's not even calling the shot. <sighs> um. So, uh, any final thoughts? Bethany's not back with us, so we'll adjust the score total this time. Are we are we are we ready to vote this time? Uh, let's go with Dylan first. Um, I'm torn. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that, yeah, just like Justin said, it's very similar to the scroll thing, except there there is the whole team dynamic this time. Um, but why does Beast keep finding himself in all of these positions that are all very similar? So, because of Charles. This is really about true, Charles. True. <laughs> All the of this has rested. All of this is because of Charles. <laughs> we should all take this back and give him ones on everything. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with a three. Uh, and we did put Charles uh, on trial for the Illuminati as well. By the way, I know I'm upset that I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Noel, I'm gonna go three. Uh, it's a three for me as well, Bradley. Uh, for me, I keep the same as I did with the uh, with the 
uh, virus thing, I always just think there's another answer. I think you live in a superhuman world with a bunch of super geniuses and think harder. Uh, um, so four. <laughs> at least you didn't weaponize the legacy virus on the other planets, right? Yeah, uh, you move past your AIDS bomb days. <laughs> Justin? I think it's going to be a three for me on this one. I feel like there were things that he could have done, but also there were things that were being done without his awareness and or without his uh, ability to stop them. And uh, Regina? You know, after covering everything else we've discussed about Beast, I don't think he would have chose any differently, even if he had not um, had part of his memories erased and, you know, I think that this is very in line with some of the other decisions that he's made. There is a there is an argument regarding the war aspect, but yeah, you're you're not asking any women how they would address these specific threats. And I really think that a lot of our female characters would actually make completely different decisions and actually be able to avoid a lot of the stuff that the male characters are actually doing. So I'm going to give him a four. And uh, Alicia. All right. So though I agree that it was, I do agree. It was just not, not a good choice. Um, But I don't think that it was all on him. So I'm going three with this one. Okay, uh, so that gives us. By the way, I skewed our results before. I'll I'll cover this at the end, but we have a total score of forty, not thirty-five thus far. I've been saying thirty-five, but there's there's been eight of us, not seven of us. Right now, there's seven of us because Bethany's gone. So this gives us a total score of twenty-three out of thirty-five. So I'll I'll figure it all out by the end. I promise. Uh, so we'll go down to the, uh, final point for which we are holding beast on trial. And this is probably the big one. Cause we have lots of feelings about the current Kirko and run. I'm so excited about this. Cause I can't <laughs> wait to see Noel defend beast. I, I, that's the most exciting thing. I can't wait. For. I'm glad okay. you're excited. <laughs> so here's the, uh, here's the presentation. When mutants declared their own country on Krakoa, Beast was put in charge of X-Force, the island's CIA by the government in charge. Now, with little oversight and no system of checks and balances in place, frankly, Beast has made a number of problematic decisions. In this capacity, he has authorized the psychic questioning and torturing of prisoners. He's hired mercenaries without authorization. He's manipulated the resurrection protocols to get people in a position to behave as he needs them to, specifically with Omega Red. He has kept uh, dangerous weapons to study despite the risk that they pose. Uh, now, the, the most problematic thing, there's a nation in South America called, called Terra Verde, which weaponized something called te- telefluoronics. It's like a, it's like a plant intelligence. Uh, Beast pushed Jean Grey to uncomfortable levels to stop the telefluoronics. Then he apprehended the man behind it, a man named Hadwin Kokum, who's the son of the Terra Verdean president. Instead of imprisoning Kokum, uh, Beast forced him into a coma. Then he altered telefluoronic matter to let the plants be dominant within this man. Then he returned Kokum to Terra Verde in order to get the country in his debt. The telefluoronics, which Beast had hoped to control, then ended up taking over Kokum and spread out over all of the plant life into the rest of the country, which then took over the entire citizenry of Terra Verde. There was a god named Ak, A.K., 
uh, spelled AK, who soon came into the country and then weaponized the plant life even further. After Ak was defeated, Beast took over this telefluoronic system and created it as his own weapon, which orchestrated a massive mind control over the entire population of a country, which he then created. He used to create a life for them within the country with no conflict or war or struggle because he was controlling them. Beast continued expanding his influence. And when the Terra Verdeans attended the Hellfire Gala, they broke free of Beast's control and threatened to expose what he had done to them. Beast initially blamed Sage for all of this, claiming she had turned against him, but she soon negotiated peace with the Terra Verdeans in exchange for $1 billion and promises to Terra Verde that Krakoa would stay out of their affairs and now dissolve all forced treaties. During all of this, Beast has compared himself to a god in order to justify his actions. That's a crazy fucking comic book story to try to summarize in one paragraph. <laughs> but let's turn it over to uh, Dylan for the prosecution here. Okay, so Beast has done a, a lot of awful things, but for this case, the stakes are completely different. All the other times, there was something pretty awful that happened and you could maybe justify what he did. But now the mutants were on top of the world and they were already gods. They just started this nation. They have medicine to heal everything that humans have. That's an ailment. Like there was no reason for Beast to do anything that he's done now. He could be a better beast and he chose not to be. And there were several times with Terra Verde that he could have maybe stopped and realized, hey, I'm doing something awful, but he didn't. Like there were several different points in time that he could have stopped them before what happened at the Hellfire Gala. And he didn't. He is an awful person. <laughs> he has had so many times in his life that should have, maybe he should have grown from as the rest of mutantdom grown grew when they started their own nation and he decided to be the same beast that he was which is an awful piece of shit and noel for the defense so beast may be an awful piece of shit but the council chose him to lead x-force so as leader of X-Force, he has to make hard decisions and he has to calculate things similar to the way world leaders do, weighing the benefit of a certain action to their own country by maybe making questionable decisions for another country. And Beast has always been someone who justifies the means by its end. And that's really the whole purpose of a group like X-Force. Um, you know, the mutant CIA. And it's Mystique who says, mutant CIA, that's pretty gross, but they go ahead and do it. And Xavier and the council choose Beast to lead it. And he leads it the way that he knows how. So in my mind, he, the council and Xavier have effectively sanctioned Beast's decisions and also his moral compass. Um, so it's not on Beast that he's in charge and making these decisions like he does with Terra Verde. That's on the council for trusting him to be the person who makes those decisions. And even when he gets in a fight uh, with the five over resurrection, Xavier backs Beast 
So he's not getting any in feedback that he's making the wrong decisions. Um, you know, he keeps his secrets so that other mutants have deniability, so that they don't have to face the moral conflicts that will arise if they had to make these difficult decisions. He's doing what needs to be done in the name of X-Force's mandate, which is keeping Krakoa safe and neutralizing its enemies. So he might have to make some problematic choices, but that's the job that they gave him. And I don't Charles believe does bring the lions said. eating. <laughs> Charles does bring the lions eating people's faces parties party to Krakoa, and then everyone's surprised when lions start eating people's faces. <laughs> what? I mean, that was very well put, but I don't want to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> the defense counsel didn't believe what she said so <laughs> i think but i do I think, believe it's charles xavier's false always that is true. <laughs> i think if we take real life scenarios we have like lots of series uh stories where the like american government has like introduced drugs to countries to keep them under control or initiated war or given like rebel groups weapons this is all of that again benjamin percy fucking amazing job on your storytelling at exports it's good but you have to consider this is all of that times a lot because like he's mind controlling an entire country he's taking away free will and i don't it's really hard for me to find any moral justification for that and even his friends are pissed about it right yeah and it doesn't feel like it's out of necessity right you know it feels like it's out of just sheer i can puppet with my power it, so i'm going it, to it's preemptive action it's not justified in the sense that there's a reason to do this it's i'm going to do this to be in control to be on top in the future and uh but yeah. as the defense sorry regina no go ahead babe <laughs> babe i'm sorry <laughs> with everything that mutants have been through i don't know that his actions are unjustified given what their experience is among humans since forever so when we talk about the ends justifying the means sometimes on rare occasions i think that that's true i think sometimes you do what you have to do to get a result that's actually beneficial and sometimes those choices are really, really painful and we do them and then we have to live with them. And I don't want to go into real world politics because we will be here all day. I could give you a dissertation <laughs> on the CIA of the United States and the crap that they've done. So I'm going, to pro I'm going to mention a fictional version of that, which is the fantastic story by Ursula Le Guin, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. So if you know the story, it's about this amazing like country or place where you know people are they have they're not hungry and there's festivals all the time and you know everything is hunky-dory everybody has this amazing life and then at some point as they grow up they are taken to the, the center of the town and there is this horrible disgusting child basically that has to suffer and this child has to suffer so that Omelas can exist. This child has all of the suffering that the nation would normally have. And I kind of feel like this is almost the story of Krakoa. So we have this country 
and we have festivals and dances. And yes, we do have people who are trying to come and invade and, you know, do incursions or whatever. But on the flip side of that, we have beasts manipulating places like Terra Verde and literally destroying every man, woman, and child in that country so that Krakoa can survive and thrive and be happy. Which again, you know, mutants have faced genocide many, many, many times. So this is not something new. But at what cost? Because the effect of Beast doing what he did is that he was trying to prevent the ultimate bio-sentinel and he actually ended up creating it. So the, the ends did not justify the means at all in any way. And are you going to tell me that you live on a island with people like Nature Girl and Madison Jeffries and, you know, Dr. Nemesis, and they couldn't have come up with a solution on how to fix this problem? You just unilaterally, again, in your little vacuum, made this decision by yourself? There's a moment at the end of WandaVision, for those that have seen it, where she's mind controlled an entire town for a period of time. And she didn't mean to. It was a trauma. But as she's walking away at the end and the people have their minds back, they're just staring angrily at her. And we sympathize with her, but you also have to consider what it must have been like for these people whose lives have been interrupted and taken over. That's a trauma that they'll never recover from. I think it's very, very difficult to justify on a on an individual level what has taken place here, even when you're trying to protect the greater good. Mutants have certainly seen a lot of trauma, but now mutants are powerful. They got their own fucking planet. They can resurrect themselves. But let's take over these humans' minds and 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 uh, you know ruin them forever. There's something very dark about that. And yes, Professor X is an asshole, but Beast is the one on trial here. I also think there's almost like a Nuremberg trial level of this. Like this is the thing that like drives him to the level of like, oh my God, what has happened? Uh, again, brilliant storytelling, but holy shit, what happened to the beast that used to bounce around and be happy? <laughs> I miss him. Uh, are we ready to vote here? Any final thoughts? Uh, Alicia. I have a final oh, please. thought. Bradley, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly a joke, but all of the like X-Force stuff pretty much reads like uh, that scene in Jennifer's body where she's like, I am a god. And then uh, <laughs> Jean going, okay, I have to go meet Chip at McHallen Park. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's it. <laughs> okay. Any Any other final thoughts? Uh, Alicia, go ahead and vote on this last one. Okay, so I'm going five uh, because even if there was a defense of he's doing it for the good of the country, he's enjoying it. Like he doesn't have any remorse about it. And he's like, look at this. I just crushed you and I love it. So five. Regina? (laughs) I mean, Xavier knows what he's doing. Xavier put him in this position to do exactly what he's doing. I don't think that, I don't think that this erases his culpability. And I'm going to give him a five. Dylan. Um, even though I am the prosecution, I am going <laughs> to say that the words that Noelle didn't even believe that she was saying, I think actually do make a little bit of sense. And I mean, you have to think Beast so far has gotten away with all the other points that we've already had things or that we judged him on so far. 
So why can't he just keep doing things? Because the world hasn't held him accountable for the first four things. So why not keep doing this? So I'm going to give him a three. Wow. You guys are about to experience the breakup of House of X. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nobody <laughs> told me genocide was wrong. <laughs> Bradley. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm... I refuse to believe in a world of superheroes, specifically on an island of concentrated superpowers. The only answer is the things that he keeps returning to. Uh, also, fuck the CIA. Five. Uh, Justin. It's a five. It's a five. It's it's not only that he agrees with what he's doing or he defends himself. He he promotes himself. He's like, oh, you know, I, I do all these things, but I could also lead the nation. It's just oh, yeah. he has no remorse. He he doesn't even think even when he's caught, he's like, well, I needed to do it. And you didn't. And you took it a couple <laughs> of steps too far. It's a five. It's a five for me as well. And Noel. So the reason I said I didn't believe what I was saying is because I don't like when our own government does this shit. So <laughs> it's <a> five. <laughs> Uh, and Bethany texted me her scores because she is not able to rejoin. So she gave us a four for the last round, a five for this round, which gives us five, 10, 15, 20, 20, 38 out of 40, which is the highest score ever. Uh, I'm going to add up the total scores. And uh, Beast has a final ranking. I fixed the math. So I'll, I'll run do, through, one through the rounds really quickly. Uh, round one, we had 20 out of 40. Round two, 29 out of 40. Round three, 35 out of 40. Round four, uh, 27 out of 40 and round five, 38 out of 40, uh, which gives us a total score of 149 out of 200, which means Beast is 75% an asshole, which is our highest <laughs> score out of the three trials thus far. Uh, <laughs> um, any final thoughts on the Beast, you guys? Put him in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> I do think he deserves the pit. There's a, there, he's a, he's complicated. I do think we could get a redemption of Beast's story, but I think it would have to be pretty epic. And uh, there would be a great amount of humility. Um, we uh, we plan trials on Grey Malkin Lane every six weeks or so. Uh, I have the next one ready. Who do you guys want to see put on trial next? And keep in mind, we're only using characters from the original X-Men run at this point. Oh, well then, I mean, like, I, it it's, gonna be gene scott or or bobby right i mean those are options yeah magneto? Uh, magneto's an option Ooh. as is quicksilver it's none of those characters next uh we're gonna put uh kane marco on trial next we're gonna go for the juggernaut uh which will be a uh, a great time <laughs> Because <laughs> he's very complicated as well. Uh, as we conclude here, you guys, let me just say what a, what a pleasure and a thrill it is to spend uh, a Sunday evening with each of you. Thank you for sacrificing your time and talents and uh, brains for all of this. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful time today. Uh, as you are, uh, as we're wrapping up here, please feel free to let us know what's coming up for you and where people can find you on uh, on social media. Uh, Alicia and Justin, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, well, Justin, what's coming up for us? Ah, ha, ha. I don't tell her until we do it. So that means you you all don't get to know either. <laughs> but outside of whatever the surprises are, we do go through the current comics um, every week, the current X comics on our podcast, which is the X-Wife podcast. And you can find us all over the internet at 
the ex-wife podcast, which is X-W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not former wife. <laughs> uh, Dylan and Regina. Regina, what do we have coming up? Um, we are going to be covering the Marvel Voices Comunidades um, issue that's been pushed back, um, but we are going to be having a discussion about it. We also interviewed some of the writers that were involved and some of their upcoming projects, which we're very excited about. Um, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the Red Queen of X. And Dylan, what you want to add to that? <laughs> Everybody can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. And yeah, you can find me and Regina on our X-Men podcast too, where we review comics also. And you can find us in our X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X. We also do have a whole bunch of other Facebook groups that are for individual characters because some people like to just have groups about individual characters. And we do actually have a House of Beast. It is probably the least active group that we have. <laughs> uh, I will speak for Bethany since she wasn't able to be here. Bethany is a very talented novelist and poetess. Uh, you can find her on Twitter. She's got some upcoming novels at uh, The Mask Writer, mask spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E. Uh, and she's easy to talk to on there or on Facebook under Bethany Pope. Uh, Noelle, how about for you? Yeah, so on my podcast, X-Men Unraveled, I'm getting ready to cover the early life of Storm, which I'm super excited about. Ooh. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at X-Men Unraveled. And Bradley. Um, I am an illustrator. Uh, you'll find me. I, I work for a magazine and I do and I make comics. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Knife System, K-N-I-F-E-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or Instagram at Bradley A. Clayton. Uh, draw my little pictures. And I've commissioned a piece of art from Bradley, which we hope to unveil at some time in the near future. Uh, and on uh, Gray Malkin Lane, you can find us on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, or on Instagram just under Gray Malkin Lane. Uh, we have weekly episodes coming up. We've got a number of really incredible uh, comic book professionals coming up. In our next episode, we'll be covering X-Men number 25, which has some problematic discussions around the character of El Tigre. Uh, we have the guest star, uh, Carrie Harris, coming up who wrote these novels, uh, which is we're really excited about. Uh, and we've got some really cool stuff after that. You guys, thank you for uh, spending your evening with me. Uh, these episodes for the trials are longer than they humanly should be, but it's so much fun and I wouldn't change one fucking moment from the whole thing. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, Beast, I just want to point out, Beast rated higher than Charles Xavier by 6%. So uh, we had some things to say. Uh, That's because I wasn't there. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. Have the most wonderful evening and uh, we'll see you back next week on Great Malcolm Lane.